Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, conversations in cycling and subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein, and today's episode is brought to you by the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop. The Everything's Been Done Gear Shop, all you need to tantalize your wildest dreams. We've just recently gotten some new masks or face covers, however you like to call them, in the shop which I think will tantalize your socially distanced needs. Today's guest is a legend amongst men, a working artist, a cyclist, a skater, a man of many hats. You can find him at MikeGiant.com and at OGMikeGiant on Instagram. Please welcome Mr. Mike Giant. Thanks for being here. That's all good. <laughs> but I like your, your you were just saying your perspective on keeps social media to kind of get this this 360 view of any type of situation i'm trying to work against say the algorithm like i know how facebook like it preys it preys on you in the way that it wants you just to interact with it so it'll continually show you things that disturb you and you know joe rogan talks about that all the time and that's the problem with it if you're left leaning it's only going to show you things that are going to promote that angle and the, and vice versa you know like if we all sat down somewhere together imagine that <laughs> and all opened up our laptops and did keyword searches in google all of us are going to come up with different results based on our preferences and our likes and whatnot so that totally skews uh politics and that's what they're talking about that's how that gets exploited you know and you know it can get really fucking weird you know so i try to try to I mean, even as a Buddhist, I'm always trying to take that middle path. So I'm always trying to see the extremes and kind of make a judgment call myself in the center and just move on from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then also part of that is informed by how, like, I guess, more personal mor moral choices or personal values. It's like, here's well, the sure. left and the right or the, the A and the B. And then how does my interpretation right. of it? Right, right. Yeah. It's like you're just kind of out on this ocean of ideas you know and it's just yeah you can turn left or turn right or just kind of keep going down the middle of the straight narrow path you know the quick path and uh just keep an eye on things to the left and right you know yeah how do, do, you, do you spend a lot of time kind of paying attention to current events and things no yeah is there a no. specific reason for that i put my time elsewhere <laughs> intentionally she even just naturally like i'm not oh interesting i'm not i'm not interested in watching the news even when i'm in a hotel room and it comes on or it's in a at a, a deli or at a bar or something i'm just like what yeah. a bunch of bullshit <laughs> you know but you put on like a a funny 80s movie or something i'm like oh hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm down for entertainment you know it's like i don't consume television but i do love movies and i've been doing that um pretty much every single day i've been watching a movie or two even um through the whole pandemic thing wow. you know um i just asked friends like hey you got any dvds laying around and they all have stacks you know, oh, and I cool. just have an old TV that my roommate just had there and wasn't using. And I was like, hey, I have a funny little DVD player. Can I use your TV? And he's like, hell yeah, it hasn't been used in ages, you know. So, yeah, I've been kind of uh, doing a, uh, uh, yeah, the last few months, it's been a hell of a movie run. And it's been really fascinating to see how the current issues 
were issues in a lot of those movies from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. You know, and even like how I loved the John Hughes movies like uh, 16 Candles and um, some of those. And I, I watched that movie in particular the other night and it was just so terrible on a, on a certain ethical level. Like it was so racist. Oh, it was yeah. so misogynist, right. sexist. Um, oh, it was really irritating. Totally. But it was it was like a reckoning of sorts, you know, it's like this is something I really looked up to as a kid. And, you know, this is kind of the things that shaped my identity on some level. You know, it's like, well, how did I work with that or against that, you know, over my life? You know, now that my perspective on that kind of stuff has changed, you know, socially and personally, like it's exactly Wait, I got in the I, bigger picture too. Like how right. things have changed. Exactly. You know, it's even like, um, like Long Duck Dong was a Chinese exchange student, and he uh, more than once said Japanese words. <laughs> you know, he said like bonsai once or twice, and it's just like I think kids now would see through that and be like, that's fucking stupid. He's Chinese. Why would he say something in Japanese? You know, like a kid would, you yeah. know? And we were just like, woof, because we just, you know, it yeah, wasn't, yeah. we weren't knowledgeable about the different Asian races when I was a kid. We just didn't, you know? And that's fucking racist. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? more information now too, just through well, like and internet. And that's the thing. And just me growing in general and traveling, traveling to Asia and experiencing all the variation of Asian cultures, you know? I mean, yeah, those are important distinctions to make. And it's just so heartbreaking to realize that the entertainment I loved as a kid was just playing up these really, really stupid yeah. uh, racial stereotypes that could be you know, you could learn how that's like really offensive in just two seconds, right? But right. somehow it made it to a movie screen, you yeah, know? And it's like, and we classic. loved it. It was yeah. like, oh, it's so awful, you know? It's not like I feel guilty. It's just like, you know, aware of of the conditioning, you know? Yeah, right. Okay, and wait, reckless I reckless ignorance. I got a question on the like, so for the longest time, I was like very, I don't watch the news. It's, fucking poison for your brain they only talk about horrible things like i just sure. don't have the space for it but then I, recently with like all the crazy shit that's been happening we've been starting to watch the news or read things and look at it and it's kind of interesting that i i think that other perspective i had is not that healthy because then you're just like it's like in, instigated in ignorance or it's like it's yeah. it's ignorance period it's like knowing there's issues but being like i don't want to deal with those so it's funny, like, I mean, balance. You just have to be, yeah, exactly. It's just a balance. I mean, um, in the same way, say, I started following, I think, the governor of California and the, the uh, county of San Diego's Instagrams. Simply to get the up-to-the-day notice of what the new mandates or restrictions might be because they change so often totally. and backtrack and you know contradict the previous mandate i mean it's it's fucking ridiculous and it breaks my heart but um that's my way of trying to stay 
up on it. I don't need to watch the TV news for an hour just to get the information that, yes, in fact, today we need masks on still. And yeah, the restaurants just closed again, that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm just kind of, again, I'm using it selectively and I'm using Instagram as a tool more so than I think a lot of people might be using it. I, you know, I don't know. The answer is yes, no, and everything in between. Sure. Right. I mean, so that's right. the answer to everything in life. It's always this yeah. like mix of extreme, extreme, and then maybe kind of a big middle or just sure. a middle. But say like, you know, how often Twitter is referenced in popular culture and whatnot. And uh, I have a Twitter account, but I never use it. I never look at Twitter. Um, but it's one of those things. It's like, okay, I'm probably missing out on some stuff because I'm not using Twitter as a tool in the same way that I might use Instagram. But again, I have to choose where my time goes, you yeah. know? And most of my time goes to sitting down at the fucking table and drawing. Yeah, Like yeah. that's how I make a living. If I'm not drawing, I'm not making a living. Yeah. So, there's no getting around the fact that I have to put the fucking phone down for extended periods of time throughout the day and just work, you know? Yeah. Oh, this is a perfect, perfect segue into, uh, <laughs> I'm have been very curious of how your relationship to drawing has just changed. I'm mm. assuming you've had several different interactions, you know, uh, I, that's not the right way, but your relationship to it has been different through many because you've been in contact with it for so many years. Yeah. From like as a kid with, or even graffiti, it's like graffiti is sure. this free and easy thing. And then like yeah. you just said, now it's like my job, J-O-B, pressure heavy, have to. Like, I wouldn't say that though. Okay, um, great. I think people inherently put that term job with something dreadful mm, yeah. or like, Culturally. God damn it, I got to do it. Yep. But that's where the artist is different, right? Yes. I can't wait to get to the studio. I'm often, you know, I work in a warehouse uh, district. It's like a whole bunch of warehouses all together. Sick. And um, my buddy Dave and I uh, rented a like a thousand square foot one. Holy shit. And we have neighbors all around us. You know what I mean? Um, and they're nine to fivers, you know, but mm. I'll get there, you know, eight o'clock sometimes in the morning and not leave till eight o'clock at night. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just jamming away so it's this kind of recognition that i'm on a whole other wavelength but also that the work i'm doing it's like uh it's like that you know how much effort and how much you get back from your effort you know and i feel like when i'm kind of working for myself on my own stuff and let's say turning the being able to sell the illustrations right away and then being able to make posters to share that art with more people. It feels like the amount of time I put in and the amount of money, say, that I get out of it is fantastic, you know? And frankly, I, I do take time off. I mean, it's not like, it's, I don't know, it's this kind of daily flow of what I need to get done. And if I'm caught up and I feel financially okay, I'll take a day or two off, you know? Um, but that's, you know, usually in the middle of the week <laughs> when I'm out of the flow of the nine to five, you know? 
Um, I tend to work straight through the weekends just to avoid people. Mm. There's a lot of things about this like pandemic that I've loved. <laughs> I feel like my uh, quality of life has improved dramatically in this time. <laughs> That's awesome. Sure. Just for like, it can, how? Oh, like I'm back in Southern California. Uh, traffic stressful. Uh, yeah. Ever since the pandemic, uh, there's been no traffic. It's been great. Um, I ride my motorcycle around crazy safer. I'm getting rebates from my uh, car insurance company because nobody's fucking driving. I love it. The air quality right now is amazing, better than it's ever been. You know what I mean? There's all these things that they're not talking about in the news that are like, actually, this could be good. Like, you know, did everybody need to get in their fucking cars at 8.30 in the morning and go to their nine to five? Well, it turns out, no, they can work from home now. And guess what? The kids can learn from school too, or, or do it from home. I mean, we've seen that whether or not that's good or not, you got to determine that for yourself and for your family. Right. But in the bigger picture, I think it's kind of cool. Like even among my meditation friends, we're all stoked because it kind of forced the world into a meditation retreat. <laughs> it's kind of how a retreat goes, except we wouldn't have TVs around, you know, but on a retreat, you know, you're not supposed to look other people in the eye. Um, you're oh, supposed really? to stay silent the whole time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, a why? retreat really is about removing all of the, the basic distractions of your day-to-day life, that including your, and ultimately your ego. That's the whole point yeah, to get past okay. that even. Okay. So yeah, you're really on your own. In usually, let's say in a week-long retreat, you might uh, have a 20 to 30-minute kind of talk with a, uh, the, the main teacher, you know, maybe every other day, you know, but, oh. but you can, it's voluntary if you don't want to, don't care to, and you feel like your practice is jamming, you don't have any questions, fucking rock on. I've always taken advantage of those uh, talks because um, you're progress on the spiritual path is really hard to quantify because you've really got to run into other people who are on the path and that you know have dedicated longer to it and have a, a, a gauge of you know progress let's just say so right. I've always used those interviews as like opportunities to talk to uh, the elder about okay how is my understanding you know and those have always been really powerful moments when they say you're doing great you know my heart just explodes and i cry and i'm like holy shit really you think so and they're like absolutely mike you're you're, yeah you're here bro you're at a retreat in the mountains like who the fuck else is here there's just a few of us like yeah you're doing it you're killing it you know they wouldn't say that but (laughs) you know that's that's the thing yeah. you know but it but it takes and it's really really rare to run into other people that are on that path especially the buddhist path especially people that are really really doing it too you know well and then when you say doing it do you mean just like practicing regularly or like a life committed to it's a life thing yeah i mean sitting i think is important um but after you kind of do it for a while it's a big thing i learned from Thich Nhat Hanh. uh he's really the one that coined the term mindfulness when we used to go to did his retreats like 
God damn, that would have been 17 years ago. I started doing retreats with him in France and kind of what I got out of it was that I, I also do a lot of Vipassana, which is the silent retreat, no interaction with people. Usually seven to 10 days is a good one. Perfect. Um, they're heavy, you know, and scary as fuck. And you kind of learn how to be really good and solid on the cushion. But in some ways that practice doesn't really help you so much in real life. Thich Nhat Hanh taught mindfulness, which was kind of taking what you learn on the cushion out into the world, you know? So it was like that single pointed concentration that you would have sitting, you know, in meditation posture, do that when you're washing the dishes, like just wash the dishes. Don't think about anything. If you're thinking about something, come back to washing the dishes. Yeah. Even using the toilet. I mean, he used really, really basic things that we all have to go through day to day. just like the breath, you know, to anchor and to stay in the present moment. Yeah, I feel like a quote from that book that I remember or from one of his books is uh, whatever you do, do that one thing. Basically what you just described. Exactly. I learned it from him, from his mouth. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. And it's, uh, again, if it's embodied, that becomes lifestyle. And then when you meet other people who are operating in that way, it's encouraging, you know, and you found a kindred spirit in a really deep way. Yeah. Uh, but okay. Would you say that to me, sometimes you just like vibe with people regardless of what their spiritual anything is. You know, well, there's sure. just energetic, like... Well, the Hindus really have a science of that. Even scientists now, like, we're sending vibrations to each other physically. Totally. From our heart, actually. The center of our chest. Oh. Like that feeling of literally. lust. Yeah, like if you, you know, the whole thing where you're feeling somebody looking at you, and then you look behind you at the bar, and there's some cute girl just staring at you. No, oh. no. Your body was reading that before. Yeah. Well, you it got really another, it another. is physical. They really can uh, measure it now. I don't know that analogy. You got a different one. Force. What? Do you, <laughs> maybe Sorry, a dude, I, I a really hunky dude, <laughs> across the bar checking you out, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh fuck, bro!" It's I'm like Care Bear stare. Like, uh. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those things. Like you know, you really, we, you know, it's like it's like hippie silly shit to be like, "Oh, dude." I'm, feeling your vibes but no scientifically yeah you're actually feeling vibrations i mean that's the that's the whole funny thing with like quantum physics is that we never actually touch because our atoms never touch and it's so weird like you think i'm hugging you right i'm feeling you but like the actual structure of our bodies is kind of repelling everything constantly we're in, in these different uh vibrational rates you know Yes, yes. Oh, bro. <laughs> have you have you ever heard of a uh, a person named uh, Abraham Hicks? No, I don't think so. Did Abraham they, Hicks. They talk a lot about like vibrational frequency and just like mm-hmm. t- training your mind and like positive sure. thinking things. You know, sure. I was like listening to a lot of that for a while and then, you know, I'll kind of go in and out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people get kind of culty about it, which is well, Any, sure. Anything like that gets weird, you know? Sure. But just, it reminds me of the, you know, vibrational frequency. Yeah. I feel like so many times the culty thing is just that it's the ego. It's somebody being like, oh, uh-huh. I have the fucking answer. I'm going to share it with y'all. 
and you find people that need a leader. Yes, yes. Where yes. it's like in my, let's say in a Vipassana Buddhist kind of way, you're not trying to do that. No, it's about inherently. You know, your own experience is this like lonely solo thing. Mm. Like, and everybody's got to go through their journey. And what worked for you is not going to work for maybe anybody. You know what I mean? And it's just preposterous and egotistical to think that you've got it figured out, and then you're going to go share that. Totally. You know, I mean, even the Buddha himself was had some trepidation um, once he became enlightened. It almost kind of, he was like, ah, fuck. Totally. Now I got to go back to my homies that I left behind that were on the, the spiritual path trying to find the truth and fuck, I just found it. But how the fuck am I going to tell them that? They're going to think I'm a fucking traitor. They're not going to believe me, you know? But, he, you know, again, he just put it out there and people practiced it and found the merit in it themselves. And that's how it developed. And that's why of all the say world religion practices, I love it the most because it's non-evangelical. Like Buddhists are not going to come knocking on your door. Yeah, you know? yeah. They know that you have to make the effort yourself. Yeah. You know, respect. Yeah. Because that's the full energy. It's like, if you if you're having a hard time in your life and you're like, okay, I'm gonna give meditation a try. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do it. Fifty percent of say the healing capacity of that action is just in you stepping foot in that door hmm. that you've made this intention and you followed through with it and you're in the fucking room, right? Yeah. Give yourself a huge load of credit right there. Yeah, good point. Now, jump into it. Like I've heard that from many of my meditation teachers on retreats. They're just like, you guys are one in a million. Like for real, like one person out of a hundred might be like, man, I'm just not satisfied with my day-to-day -day life. It seems like I've got everything. I got money. I got all this, but it's just like, ugh. one out of 10 of those might think, oh, Buddhism, you know, <laughs> one out of 10 of those actually might go study or go to a lecture or something like that, right? Mm. One out of 10 of those might start doing meditation practice on their own. One out of 10 of those might end up at a retreat, mm. you know? So just in those steps, like, boom, you're, that might, you know, I don't know how many steps that is, but they're like, you know, you're one in a million. That's six steps. Right. So you're already killing it. Thank you. Thank you for coming here. Thank you for supporting our community of people who are dedicated to helping people mm. like you and helping ourselves, you know, it's, it's heavy. Right. How much of a, it sounds like for you the like the practice of practicing with other people seems to be like of a higher importance than just doing like a solo, like just at home. Um, no, it's not. It, it's actually way more important to do it on your own. Um, oh, those are I almost check-ins then. Uh, yeah, exactly. Totally. Checking in and, uh, going deep yeah often, you know in day-to-day -day life you can't meditate all day like you can on a retreat you know right. yeah what a trip. um so and that's the that's the wild thing you know it's like basically on a vipassana retreat every thought that arises you just try to let it go and come back to your breath so okay. if you're doing that day after day after day after day 
the thought production part of your mind slows down and there can be these really long gaps between thoughts and that's where to me the heavy understanding of our place in the universe comes from because at that place you're not really ego as soon as your thoughts start kicking in back to the ego state but there can be these it's a lot like the psychedelic state, you know, and you'd be on acid and you'd be in the midst of a heavy trip and you kind of can't tell how long you've been in there or how long it's going to last. And you can get panicked or you can just kind of relax and be like, no, it's going to be fine. It's just going to wear off like everything, like it always does. Just right. chill, you know. Um, but yeah, it can. That I get sidetracked. <laughs> especially especially talking about that stuff because the whole point is to get past thoughts you know so you come back from the silent zone and you're you're having to kind of unpack a thing that's beyond description sure kind of like sure. a psychedelic state right you know yeah. a like, similar wavelength on those two things that's the thing that yeah to me it's it's this aspect of time you know, like there can be times, say, on a retreat where I, I think of it as the bottom of the breath. So it's like an inhale and then the exhale. Got you. That's like death. Exhale and the exhale. I kind of there's like this uh, there's like a chakra exercise. As you exhale, you feel this ball kind of moving down, down, down to the base chakra. And then you wait for the inhale because our bodies naturally breathe. It knows how to breathe. So you can just chill and wait. You don't have to think about the breath even right. and i think that that's the place where i found the the connection to the all <laughs> yeah yeah right you know I, I and was, it's, i can't describe it but you just oh it makes me burst into tears and my body shake and i just it, it's like i'm somehow conscious that everything is operating all at once always Oh, that's and so somehow beautiful. you get these like clicks of like, holy shit, wow, everything's happening at once. And it yeah. just happened again. And it just happened again. And it just happened again. And everybody and everything is affecting everything and everybody. Love that one. Yes. All is one. Yep. So you, know, you can think about that. But if you've been sitting quietly for seven days and your brain kind of settles into, oh, we're one. And you're just like, holy shit. It's more and of a feeling. Hippy dippy shit. You come out of it and you're yeah. just changed. It's just you you just know something different. It's like people who've never done a hallucinogenic drug. You just don't know what's on the other, man. You know? There's yeah. vast possibilities of uh experiencing this world in a micro uh portion of a certain substance can make everything look different taste different you know smell different sound different you know our consciousness is so fragile and we think it's this like real solid thing yeah but every morning we can wake up and just completely change our lifestyles and everything you know but we don't because we like the regularity and the routine and the comfort yeah. consistency you know? But it's not real. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, the I mean the psychedelic thing is one that 
it, I, I like it as like a check-in similar to like these yes. retreats. Yes. But, I mean, it's a the, great way to check in even in that same way of a retreat, I think, you know, um, I, I like DMT because it's usually like a 10 to 15 minute experience. Oh, okay. I get a good kick in the ass into that like egoless, selfless place. Um, but when I come out of it, there's no calm down. I mean, I used to do LSD every Sunday through the, I guess that was the mid nineties. Um, and that was a big investment in time and energy right. and all that, you know, that was a big deal. That was my church for right. those years, you know, totally. Um, but these days as the 48 year old man, man, yeah, I can't really, uh, <laughs> Yeah, when people offer me LSD or even mushrooms, I'm just like, man, I just, you have no idea how much that stuff I put through my system. I've learned what I need to from that. Right. And, uh, but the the DMT is just kind of, uh, again, it's a fun little check-in that actually, you know, again, that's the, the funny thing with it, right? It's just this dumb little substance, little bong hit, right? And all of a sudden, when your eyes are closed, it is full on fractal town. It's just... Yeah fucking bananas the last time i saw fractal raspberries it was like this raspberry form that would just spin and fractalize and it just took over you know and uh uh, such a crazy feeling you know it's just i again i think it's a great check-in to see like what substances how they affect your body you know and then maybe after that you might grab a banana and be like look at it different, like, oh, shit, I'm going to put this substance in my body, and it's going to have an effect on my consciousness. It's going to have an effect on my mood, mm. you know? Even a dumb banana, Yeah, right? and it's a living thing, too. But again, like, it's this thing that you checked in on, and then you're like, oh, water. Water's this amazing thing. Yes. Thank God for water. For Holy sure. shit, water feels so good in my mouth, and oh, I feel so refreshed, and I feel happy yeah. again, you know? Yes. And that's the, that's the hit. You know, it's like when you get sick or you break an arm or something. And then in the healing process, you're so conscious of all the other parts of your body that are working properly. Mm. <laughs> you're yeah, not yeah. having to worry about like, wow, I broke my left arm. Well, my right arm's okay. All right. I'm still jamming. You yeah. know, but I better not break that other one. <laughs> you, know? you know, but it's in the meantime where you're like, you're conscious of it. Like every time, you know, we get tattooed, we have to be conscious of that part of our body for a little while, because if we ding it or somebody rubs against it or something it hurts you know and you're just like it makes you conscious of it but when you're looking at your other tattoos you're like man i had to go through this fucking process every fucking time with all of these (laughs) jesus christ what a fucking journey you know i think it's cool yeah like uh getting hurt actually is one of the things i I don't, nobody loves that, but whenever I get hurt and I'm down for a while, I, I actually don't totally hate it because it's this opportunity, just like drugs and just like meditation, yeah. to experience life in this totally different way. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, and then of course the whole added component of like appreciation for like, yeah. man, standing is fucking cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I started skateboarding again recently and I've already got dinged up a few spots. So it's like, I'm kind of, you know, uh, conscious of that again <laughs> just like oh yeah i'm a skateboarder god damn yeah you're paying blood every time <laughs> you know For it's sure. funny that way but it's so fun and it's still so invigorating you know 
Um, yeah, yeah, there is a good feel from that. Yeah, just rolling in general. Yes, exactly. I, I mean, I know there's like a, I saw a documentary about a doctor that lives here in San Diego and he listens to classical music on headphones and he rides roller skates and he does these really drawn out like slow moves while he's roller skating these like intense balance moves and I guess what his his life's work was showing the actual physical benefit to the sensation of rolling and he he proved it. it it has tremendous benefits like for your uh, immune system and whatnot and your consciousness and your concentration ability and your ability to relax, you know? Um, and it just was like, well, yeah, I mean, I love to roll, man. <laughs> like bicycles, skateboards, um, motorcycles, cars, trucks, like, fuck, I just, I love rolling, man. Yeah. You know, it just feels so good. Like just going down the hills in my neighborhood and I'll just be doing S turns, yes. you know, and just I'll close my eyes sometimes. And just to feel that out, ah, oh, it just feels so good. Yeah, it's a, a physical manifestation of flow is how I interpret exactly. it. Exactly. And I just got a surfboard. I'm going to try to go out uh, next week for the first time. And um, I'm excited to, again, it's that flow and trying to get in it. And it's nature, you know, and uh and even, you know, when I do the meditation retreats, by the end of a week of it, man, I feel so in tune and in flow with the natural world, you know? And it's, uh, I think there's part of that too, then it's like the law of attraction. When you get in that right flow, the things that you want, the universe does kind of bring it to you. Yeah. I've been huh. really brought to my knees over that a few times, just like, holy shit, I got what I wanted. Yeah. Holy fucking shit, I got it. Like how? Wow. You know, things I've been working on for years and you just kind of put a little something into it every day. That's yeah. kind of my my way of life. You know, if I have a goal, even if it's just a minute or two, put some energy towards that goal. Love that. Eventually it happens. And then usually you're kind of on to the next goal and you have to take a step back or somebody will say, Hey, isn't it cool that you're got this and this? And you're like, fuck, you're right. There was a time when I was wishing that I had that. And I put, I fucking did get it. Didn't I motherfucker right on. But then there's this heaviness of like, wow. Well, why, why did the universe help me out? Because that I can't, you know, it's like when you can't Usually in a situation like, say, you get a job, it's like a friend of a friend may have referred you, and there's this clear chain of events that got you to where, you, to the thing that you got, right? Sure. But I think with the law of attraction kind of stuff, or just settling into that right vibe, you you can't consider that. You just have to keep pushing forward. Did you ever read the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse? I did, but I don't... About was, the Buddha. It's like kind of a fictionalized thing. Yeah, but he just journey. had this... Yeah, he just kind of had this uh, metaphor for how he achieves goals. And it's like the stone falling through water. It just kind of finds its own meandering way to get there. And then it softly kind of settles at the bottom. Love it. And it's like, you're. it's not until you're kind of settled in at the bottom and chilled that you realize, oh, I made it, you know? And that's how he kind of looked at goals. It's like he just kind of would close his eyes and put this energy towards it and eventually 
it would come to fruition, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we all have to be doing stuff all the time anyways. So if it's like, you know, that work or whatever, like not even yeah. like you're just we have to do things to survive. Sure. So just like doing the things and maybe a yep. little bit over here, a little bit over there. It's and then goals happen. But and yeah. then there's new ones. And it's like, oh, it's all yeah. kind of the same we're always uh, um it's like to me the classic story of the um the stone uh, no i was oh, i lost it again the uh are you oh ah it's right on the edge of my thinking it's so funny when it's like that when you, it's like you can feel the idea right there at the edge it just doesn't want to come through for some reason what was I thinking? Oh, that's what it is. Side project. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> Side project. So many friends of mine recently, their side project has become their full-time gig oh, because sick. they lost their jobs due yeah. to the pandemic. And what they're realizing is that all that effort that they put towards their brand or their restaurant or their takeout idea or whatever it was, uh, you know, they had always thought of it as the side project mm. and then life happens. And then a few weeks later, they're like, Holy shit, I'm making more money doing my side project Sick. than I would have. If I had my regular job, Oh fuck. I could have been doing this ages ago. Well, <laughs> fuck, I got what I want. Yeah. I fucking got it. And again, you're not like, it's the universe at work that was like, oh, no, you're getting fired from your regular gig that you relied on. And then yeah, you're like, like panic. You but then the universe it. is like, no, nah, you're good. You're yeah. good. Yeah, you're yeah, actually yeah. fantastic. You're great. You know, like live it up. You know? Yeah. Those moments. It those hasn't are... been that way for a lot of people, you know. Oh. But again, the, the people that had a side project were kind of thinking ahead a little bit and not relying on their nine to five. A hundred percent. You know, I have plenty of friends that knew how to do like jewelry making mm. and would have never thought to just do that for a job. And then we're like, oh, oh I got a lot of downtime. I'm gonna make a ring. And they show it to their friends. And I'm like, yo, you made this? Yeah, yeah, I made this. You want it? I'll give it to you. No, no, no. Let me give you some money for this. Same. Like, oh, really? Oh, fuck. You think I could sell these? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it just starts popping off. You know, and then you get the call from your old job and they're like, hey, we'd like you to come back. And you're like, Oof, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm making more money now than I did there. That's tight. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. The, the big fucking pickle is the, the poor motherfuckers. I kind of think of them this way that got unemployment that worked in restaurants. And then they opened up the restaurants like here in California. And a lot of them didn't want to go back because they were making more on unemployment than they did at the actual job. Which yeah. I, you know, as a person that's self-employed and completely out of that whole circle, that was a fucking pickle from my perspective. <laughs> like, holy shit. You know, yeah. you really, you're getting more unemployment. Well, what does that say about your fucking job? What a bummer. Like, ugh, what a terrible industry to be in, you know? <laughs> it just is rough. I mean, I know, I know the restaurant business is one of the roughest there is, um, but man have they gotten fucked during this pandemic you know yeah. they were even allowed to open here recently and they just shut them down again totally you know? and it's just like fuck imagine the people that got out of unemployment work for a week and then they shut it down again 
<laughs> Motherfuckers! Oh my god, yeah. I can only imagine, you know? Ah, whatever. <laughs> at the same time, again, I think it's probably good that people are cooking at home more, you know, um, depending. I think the uh, the stay-at-home orders and the fear accompanied with that is going to have an incredible mental health toll that we'll see quite soon and will last for a long time. Even just the kids that are having to go through this right now, they're never going to fucking forget this year. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah, and if it, they'll well, remember, might not just as much as we joke about, oh, remember pre-internet? Like, there's going right. to be, oh, yeah, I remember fucking pre-COVID? Pre-pandemic. No. <laughs> Holy shit. That's the thing. Because, I mean, there's a lot of things that I do not think are going to change worldwide. Like, new protocols and, and even just the, I mean... That's another funny thing about watching movies lately is all the movies that uh, referenced the possibility for a germ pandemic worldwide and how easy it could spread. I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of movies about just that subject. So now that it's happened, it's like, ah, fuck. And the reality is, it's like, yeah, this is fucking serious. This is probably the thing that's going to take us down as a species. And then to know that it could be, you know, something that escaped a lab you know is even more like oh fuck you know yeah but you played this game then it's like the fucking the, this ceiling's gonna kill me that light's gonna shock me i'm gonna hit Every, my buzz, no. I'm gonna choke and die like that's been my attitude through the whole thing frankly as soon as they started doing the stay-at-home orders and asking us to wear masks i was like cool i'm down but i know that if it's an infection type thing my uh, general health needs to be my number one priority. So I kicked all of that into gear. You know, I mean, we were still able to walk around in our neighborhoods and go to the grocery store and stuff. So I just kind of exploited that and would walk a long oh, distance cool. in my neighborhood, masked right. and whatnot. But I would stay healthy. I ate a lot better, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things like how to react to it. The biggest uh, beef I have with, uh, the politicians and whatnot is that they're not playing up uh, general health. They're not telling people oh, to yeah. take vitamins and to eat well and to get exercise. It's kind of the opposite, which to me is a bit conspiratorial um, just because, you know, in the end, uh, generally healthy people get through it pretty easy. You know, those with compromised immune systems and whatnot, they've really got to worry. You know, and that's a bitch. I have a friend with lupus and man, she's she doesn't get out that much, man. I bet. It fucking sucks. She's a real sweet social person, too. Oh. But she's always had a compromised immune system. So it's just how she's had to live, you know, but this just presents uh, such a, a heavy, heavy uh, obstacle, you know, but she's adapted and become more creative and playing the bass and working from home and figuring it out. Oh, yeah. And her yeah. husband is super supportive and he's doing the same thing. You know, people are figuring it out. You know, I, I worry about my, uh, my parents who are in their seventies, but they seem to be just kind of dealing with things day to day and trying to enjoy themselves and staying healthy and staying active. And cool. that's, that's all they can do, you know? Right. So yeah. We'll see. We are an adaptive species. That's for sure. Yeah, sure. Well, and you and I are like, we enjoy physical activity, you yeah. know? It's like, we don't just go for a bike ride. We want to go hard, 
I remember that in San Francisco. If I got on my track bike, I was at some point going to go as hard as I fucking could. Yeah. Like straight up sprint until my heart was going to burst every fucking day because it was fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things. And you just enjoy that feeling of your body being like activated, you know what I mean? And, and surviving near death experiences on a daily level. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, God, you know, it, I mean, physical things, especially cycling, you get like a high after you do it. So Absolutely. It gets like, a, you like, that's oh, the thing I with the more. track bikes too, man. There was no better, no heavier high. And the high that I like is that egoless high, mm. you know, like when you're bombing through traffic, oh, yeah, you're like, you can't concentrate on anything. You're, perception has to be wide open your peripherals are wide open you're noticing the person all the way down golf street or whatever yeah. that's about to cross and you're like i'm gonna be hitting 30 right there like i better keep an eye on that person and in the midst you're in full traffic yeah. right you know but that's the that's the thing i, I love that uh Thich Nhat Hanh calls that you know mindfulness of body like there's this uh zen state that comes from concentration that's what martial arts that's where the martial arts connection comes to buddhism you know it's this uh you know and it's an extension of the meditative mind i think a lot of people forget that is that a lot of the like the samurai and stuff were monks you know totally they were uh and you know it gets even stranger you know they wore makeup and they were a lot of them were gay and the whole thing with the uh the uh apprentice having to commit suicide at the death of his master was to protect the secrets you know it's pretty wild world you know not exactly what we think of as just these like gung-ho marine motherfuckers you know it was a completely different thing i mean they were buddhists they were dedicated to non-violence the only reason they knew violence is because they were often the police in a in a prefecture in Japan, let's say, back in the Middle Ages, right? So if some rapist came to town, they went to the monks. So the monks always were like coming in peace and like, hey, you need to chill. Would you like to hang with us? We can help you get rid of your bad habits, you know, to help work through whatever you're expressing in this violent way. Um, and if they were fucking assholes, they would kill them with no pain. <laughs> that was the whole thing. Whoa. Like a good swordsman, you chop through someone's head when one shot because of respect. Not, you, you know, a, a shithead hacks away at somebody, <laughs> you know. And it was even like, you know, if you were if you committed a crime or did something really disrespectful and you needed to be be beheaded, you would be given the, the the choice of who would behead you. And so you'd want to somebody that was close to you that you knew was going to get the fucking job done right. And that was a heavy, heavy thing to put on a friend. Oh, dude, can you be like, killing I need friend. you to do this. But again, it's their whole world. It's the so there's, they live by. There's, there's protocols and they all respect that, you know? It's like the whole thing with even with them, like if they ran into another lone samurai out away from everybody else, they had to fight. That was their thing. The whole thing was about how they were going to meet death. So they were not looking forward to it, but were ready to go right there and to see. And the whole point was to meet it with meditative clarity, that if you die in battle, 
in in that pure present moment awareness, then you achieve nirvana. You don't have to be reborn. You don't have to try again. I you love know? the have to. I so love that. This, so, you know, so imagine they both have this way of seeing things. So it's like a respectful, like, you know, if I'm the one to kill you, I'm, I'm uh, worthy. Mm. And if you're to kill me, so be it. We're, this, is, this is our code. This is how we deal with things, you know? And this is the moment of death. This is what our whole lives have been working towards. Let's do this. Mm. That's some heavy shit, man. <laughs> you know, I love learning about the samurai. They were really wild, really unexpected, especially in Japanese culture, considering. Yeah, I always thought they were like assassins for hire for some weird reason. Or was they, that a ninja? They, well, that's the thing. They got broken up. So they were kind of like, from what I understand, basically the security force for the different lords, right? Okay. And then there was a period where they were trying to move into a modern era, uh, and a lot of that, they were just were like, no, and the samurai were hunted down. And that's the whole, uh, what's the, uh, uh, there's a term for the rogue samurai when they no longer had a house um, behind them. Yes, that's the fucking word. Interesting. Ronin. I, exactly. knew that, I didn't even know what it meant. So that's a ronin. Uh, yeah. Huh. So it's kind of like, like, let's say, you know, you were in a biker gang. <laughs> You know, and somehow the feds came and broke up your biker gang. You might not wear the colors of your gang anymore, but you're still a bad motherfucker. And right, if right. somebody crosses you, you've got the tools to deal with shit. You know? Yeah, so it's interesting. They're still out there. You know what I mean? It's, you know, even when they break up like uh, drug rings and cartels and stuff, like those guys don't just fucking retire totally. when their boss just, gets busted. <laughs> they right. They're like, move on into the next yeah. phase. Yeah. 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 Totally. Uh, I get a, a random question for you. Your, I feel like your whole life, you've kind of always been involved mm -hmm. with several different subcultures. Sure. Like, what is it that you find appealing? What is it that you love about just subcultures in general? Because they're so different. The rules are so different for each one. I, you know, frankly, I, I just think it's being interested in things outside the norm. You know what I mean? It's like uh, there's cycling, you know, which covers bicycling across the world. Every kind of bicycle, every kind of thing, you know. And then there's fixed gear messenger culture. Totally. Right? which becomes a subculture just because it's so, say, niche or particular, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing for the savvy person. You know, you get into bicycles and then you really get into bicycles. And then at somebody, some point, somebody rolls up on a track bike and you're like, where's the brakes? How does this work? <laughs> and then you try it and you're like, you ride these in traffic? This is fucking insane. How do you slow it down? And you're like, oh, you show them how to skid. And they're like, Oh, fuck it. It just kind of unfolds. Right. And uh, if you dig it, you dig it, especially a thing like fixed gear cycling and traffic. Like it is not for everyone at all. It, people fucking die doing it. I mean, we know this, like, yeah, it's, it's sketchy, you know? yeah. but well, I mean, also for the certain person, there's like, to me, there's no more connection to a simple machine that I've experienced in my life. There's something about being wrapped around a track bike in traffic and being so in tune with it 
Mm. It's it really it has to become an extension of your body. You know what I mean? Um, and even on a skateboard, like there's just you're not using your hands. It's like you're not holding the thing. That's the thing with a bicycle, especially again with a track bike, because you're leaning so far over it. All your upper body weight is on the bike, too. So it's just ah, there's something real magical about that to me. This this connection to the machine, yeah. you know, and they're so fucking quiet usually and so stealth. And no bike looks sexier going slow as fuck. I love that you said you, I remember you saying that. Even to me. standing still. Years what other ago. bike can you just stand still and do reverse? But that's <laughs> fucking crazy when you see, you know, I can remember many times being on Market Street and there was this old gray haired dude that I think was probably in his 50s. And I think he wrote a KHS, one of those orange ones. Yeah. And he would pull up next to us at like stoplights on Market Street and just do backward circles and shit and just be like, what the fuck? Like, who the fuck is this guy? He's got this bike so dialed. It's crazy, awesome. you know? And then I was able to kind of become that that good too, you know? And it was just this whole, like, I don't know. If you get into it, it there's there's levels to it, you know? But and then it, also, you feel... And even subcultures within the subculture, yeah. you know? But then also, it gets like, fascinating. tattoo, graffiti, like... Sure. They're all these, like little worlds that have all their little rules. Sometimes there's sure. a bit of overlap, but oftentimes yeah. like skate is a good example. People stay in their little worlds too. So, but it, it depends on how competitive you are. You know what I mean? And you know, a lot of people are just kind of satisfied with being like a bicyclist or just a skater, you know? And then there's some people that really fucking get crazy into shit. You know what I mean? And it really personality. Because, and that's the way I I am in general. Uh, if there's something I like, I really dive into it. And if I'm kind of half-assed interested, I just let it go. Interesting. You know, yeah. so, you know, it's just, uh, I just keep it real simple. And also as an artist, I'm expressing the things in my life. Um, whereas say a nine to fiver isn't really making these physical uh, manifestations of their lifestyle and their thoughts and their interests you know what i mean yeah so i can kind of i get uh really uh identified with certain subcultures because i did that you know even though i might not in particular deserve so much of it so to speak you know um but it's cool you know when you're starting to get into something or or i i think of like just dr maybe drawing is a good reference point Will you, uh, it could be anything, will you start to get really dedicated to it because it's like a drive inside of you? Like there's a fire inside? Or are you like, I want to get good at this. I'm just going to fucking grind through it and do the work. And there's a difference between um, that drive, like that passion is kind of effortless effortless work, opposed to being like, I want to do this. It's it's fun, but it's also hard. Like yeah. drawing for me is it's it's, hard. It's, a, it's a balance. You know, um, it's just easing into things. I'm I'm consistently telling myself on my skateboard lately, baby steps. I hear that in my head. Dude, Smart. baby steps, baby Smart. steps. You don't need to drop in today. You haven't dropped in in years. Right. Maybe next week, homie. Just go do some kick turns, ride down the hill. Don't fucking eat shit. You know, yes, yes, yes. take it easy. And now with surfing, too, I'm not trying to go surfing right away. I just want to go out on the ocean 
like shake hands with mother nature, you yeah. know, and be like, I just want to kick it out here for a little while. Like, I don't want any problems. I love you, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then as I get comfortable coming back into the shore, like, yeah, I'll try to catch some waves here and there, but I'm in no hurry. I know it'll come. I'm old enough to know that if I just continue to put a little effort towards a goal every single day, it's going to happen. Love and it. I know it's going to be that way for surfing. I can already see myself 10 years from now, just like killing it. Uh, yeah, and not not all crazy, but no. like catching a nice wave with some style, understand style, understand the protocols, understand the history part and be part of it by then, yes. you know, not this observer, and, right. you know, newbie, a right. Grom, yeah, <laughs> a 48 well. year old Grom. <laughs> that's cool. But that's cool. That's what I'm after. You know, I think that's yeah. the thing that uh, uh, Joe Rogan points out so much is that you know, you need to humble yourself. You got to start from scratch. You got to build. And that's why he loves jujitsu so much on one level, you know, it's, it's this uh, humbling, consistent practice, you know, and you never really get it. It's always a practice, kind of like meditation. It's not mm. like you meditate until you get to this place where you don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> right. No, of course you, not. you know, like yoga. You know, right. you got to do it. Every, it's not about getting to some ideal body shape or something and then just like chilling right. and letting it go to shit, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. You know. I feel drawing is a similar too. It's a, it's a practiced skill. Like you yeah. got to always yeah. be kind of sharpening that pencil to be as. Sure. Like, well, skill. you know, I, again, it's, it's how I make a living. So, you know, just in the fact that I have to be there doing it so consistently, I mean, it just keeps me really sharp. Yeah, I love that. You know, and keeps me interested. I mean, at, at this point, I'm starting to notice uh, problems with my hands, with knuckles and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, like my pinky finger. I don't know if you can even see that. Will it come up? It doesn't straighten out. That's, oh, that's straight. Whoa. So From it's always... like, because it's tucked under like this when I draw, it's always tucked under. So it's just bent. My mother's uh, finger is the same way. So it's definitely wow. some sort of hereditary thing. But the knuckle itself is huge. It's way oversized. Um, and, you know, it's like when I ride a motorcycle or a bicycle and I hold it, this one's kind of out weird because oh, it can't wow. wrap, you know? It's really strange. <laughs> You know, but it's just getting older. And yeah. I've been drawing every day probably since I was 12. Fuck, probably younger even, literally. Like, as soon as I could hold a pencil, it's something I did constantly because my parents were always, I guess I was a motor mouth as a kid. So my parents would keep art supplies in front of me and it would keep me quiet. I did oh, sound wow. effects and stuff. It drove them nuts. <laughs> you know? They're like, try and draw the house without the hammer sound. <laughs> That's the thing. I just, I would get into the zone even as a little kid and just, you know, any kind of like uh, architectural toy like Legos or Lincoln Logs mm. or things, I would, I would really get into it, you know. Um, but like, you know, say on a road trip, um, like the first time we drove from upstate New York to Albuquerque to check it out, I must have been awful, you know, because I would just get bored. It's, blah, 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 you know, just start fucking vocalizing. And they'd put, you know, some sort of game or something in front of me and it would keep me 
occupied for half an hour and then I'd start, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they'd go, God damn it. You know, like, let's get him something to eat and then we'll fucking put this book in front of him, <laughs> you know. But I just was like, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a eager kid, you know. Yeah, I had yeah. that, that, that like, uh, it's like my my creative nature has always been like hungry, you know. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. Yeah, like you have to satiate that hunger. Oh, yeah, I go nuts. You know, it's like vacations can uh, this mixed bag because how I relax is by drawing. <laughs> so oh, that's interesting. So when I'm away from it, it's like, ah, fuck. Like this isn't even as relaxing as just sitting at the beach. Like sitting at the beach can be a little annoying because i don't have anything to concentrate on in particular but you could draw it'd be great if i've got my girlfriend along because i'll give her all my concentration you know what i mean but you know i'm not thinking about drawing and that and that's kind of how i am too i'll I'll, i give my attention to each thing as it happens and mindfulness thing one thing at a time right so i i definitely get that way you know you've got my attention if 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 that's the dynamic you know, but what like in the uh, vacation scenario or even at home mm-hmm. or something, would you like, OK, how about this? Do you <laughs> see a difference between sketching and drawing? No. Interesting. No, it's all the same. And then for sure, you- it's just, you know, like inking is just a, uh, a different tool, but I'm like holding my hand the same way I'm turning the paper. And so uh, but not, you it's, know, it's. To me, it's more like sketching. I'll think of it as like it's like brainstorming or like yeah. looking at something. Yeah, I mean, it's a different. Like- it's a different kind of let's say mental place. Yeah, but I, I guess all I'm thinking of is actually just the physicality of drawing, you know. But yeah, the so- mentally in the sketch phase. Um, you know, because all those drawings that I do of like the five or six elements on a page that's all worked out beforehand, you know, sketched and placed oh. and I adjust the sizes of things. And, you know, um, there's, there's quite a bit of work goes on before I put it on a clean piece of paper and throw it on the light table. You know, that's kind of the stuff I don't really share so much. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of indicative of my attitude towards the sketches cause they end up in the trash immediately. So they're like a like a uh, scaffolding. Yeah, just like you know, getting a tattoo. You know, like we'll start rough on the tracing yeah. paper, real rough. Yes. Just some scratchy. Dude, that whatever stuff is so cool. Well, that's the thing, and then you put the another, real. you show and put another piece of paper over yep. it, refine it a Tighten little bit, it. and then maybe put another one right. to do the line work uh, sketch that you'd use for the stencil. But it's also what you'd show the client, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's various levels of kind of refining. And then, of course, the actual tattoo, you're really doing it. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's this whole other level of concentration involved. You know, it's kind of from Love this. from loose to tight, let's yes. say, in so that you're going process. Like, this is yeah. a great way Because a skull this. will start as an oval. Yes, you know? exactly. And then a line for where the eyes go and you start to break it up into the proportions of where the nose should be and the teeth and the whatnot. And then it just, boop, 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 boop. Yes, yes. It comes together. And then also, I think, uh, just noting the fact that you're drawing this thing, like, at least four times. 
Like that's yeah, that's, that's the thing that a, a lot thing. of people don't understand about ta- well, especially well, I guess custom tattooing. And that's the whole thing with Flash is that you just come in and you pick it, and they don't have to draw a goddamn thing. They just right. you know make the stencil from the stencil sheet in the back of the shop and throw it on there, yeah. which I love. I'm cool with that kind of tattooing too. You know, yeah. Well, but yeah, I, if you're coming in for somebody, you know, a big custom piece, yeah, they've probably drawn that motherfucker a few times and hopefully they've shown it to friends that have picked it apart and been like right. eh, you should probably do this over here because her face is going to be on the spine and that's going to look fucked up her whole life so maybe put it over to the side which is counterintuitive but balance it out with something over here that, shit like that that seems like one of the powerful things about working in a shop is that it's exactly that and that's oh, the whole that's cool point in like a lot of tattooers, you know, they'll get started at home. They'll get some good photos together of solid heel tattoos. They'll go to a shop. They'll get a job at a shop in town. They'll work there for a few years and then they'll go to the, the better shop in town yeah. or the best one and just kind of ride it out, you know? Mm. Um, and then there's other people that, you know, are on this like, it's like the top 10 percentile, you know, and you got, you got to work really, really hard to get into those really, really good shops. And I approached it as if the shops were my education in tattooing. So I wanted to parlay from one to the next, to the next, to get the greatest amount of education. Um, and, and then again, you're also each step up, you're working with a higher caliber of artists who can give you an even more particular critique of what you're doing or give you a pat on the back for the things you're doing right that are inspiring them. Equally, you know, which can be, yeah. I mean, I, I, I tell you, uh, uh, as a 48 year old man, the professional compliments that I've got, they were just offhand and honest by people I really respected. Those are the things that I really uh, cherish, you know, yeah. and, and I'm humbled by, you know, like this person that inspires me, I inspired them back. Like, yeah, even just this morning, I was thinking of that there is no greater feeling personally to know that I inspired someone to, to do something that really took off. Like even you with the fixed gear bikes, had you ridden fixed before we'd met? No. And also you've inspired it was me around. on multiple levels too. It wasn't that's, just That's cycling. the thing. I'm kind of, I'm conscious of that on some level. And that's, that's the, that's the, man, there's nothing better than that. Especially to see how you ran with cycling and it became such a part of your, it became your business. You yeah. Know? Right. So fucking rad, you know, this, yeah. I mean, you know, when you were, taking photos of us writing graffiti in Oakland. I mean, it was such a long time ago and it was such a neat formative time for you. And it's just like, I got to see you fall into this nice little subcultural niche, you know, and you've just been able to ride through it and expand it, you know, and, and you're offering your love of things and avenues like this, you know, which is cool. Not everybody does that. You're down to share, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's dope. That's yeah, dumb. you have actually were one of the people that opened my mind up to like, or the perception of like, oh, like you can be an artist for a living. Like I, I didn't even know, I didn't understand. The point of my that. podcast, exactly. You know that from being back then. How the fuck do people make this happen? Or just you know? not even how, just that people yeah. can do that. I was like, oh yeah, what? 
Yeah. I was like, I don't yeah. give a fuck how that's the direction to go and just sure. let's go. Yeah. And uh, absolutely and a lot of this. <laughs> and that's San Francisco too. Exactly. I mean, there were so many creatives and so many people that were open to that lifestyle and we're just like oh shit i mean we always used to joke like even in the 90s like it's tuesday at 11 o'clock and we're having breakfast and it's fucking packed what the fuck why is where why how is nobody have a fucking job <laughs> you know and then you realize nah this is fresh all yeah. these people are just kind of going day to day do what the fuck they want they were like the cool people in their little town and now we're in this whole fucking neighborhood full of those cool people that dress cool because they just like to look interesting. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, Hispanic, like even in San Francisco, it's like the gay and lesbian factor. It was just like, so like, I feel like they brought this, uh, I don't know, an excitement and a community, you know, that was like, I mean, to me, it was, it was really inspiring. You know, because I, I remember, you know, I grew up around punk and to me, you know, a lot of like even punk imagery would use like hardcore gay imagery because it was kind of in your face and aggressive. And to be gay was inherently kind of punk because, right. you, you know, you're going against the system. You know, the system doesn't like you. It doesn't want you around. So there was this to me, there was this connection there. I know, you know, a lot of punks are like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> no, you're spot To on. me, it's, it's like this, uh, yeah, this, the, just, just like, you know what? Fuck how, what everybody thinks. I'm how I am. I'm going to make this work. And what do you know? I'm dope. I got crazy money. I got cool friends. I drive a sick car, like whatever. But it's just like they're, they're successful in their own way, you know, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, find yeah. their own path. And uh, I, I love that, you know, I, I still, you know, I, I noticed that too, even just like, um, like we don't really think of gay folks as being dealt with differently or looked on differently. But as a straight guy, when I wear a Tom of Finland t-shirts uh, and people make the assumption maybe that I'm gay, I get dealt with differently. Right. It's palpable. And I think that's been a really interesting learning experience for me, you know, to just, just, just to be able to see that, you know, um, it's, 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 it's a bummer, but it's, you know, it's, I, you know, so it, like even now with all this uh, racial tension and whatnot, like to understand what it is to be a white person and to be entitled and privileged and all that, you know, I'm really conscious of that. I've been really, really thinking about that stuff and wondering like, wow, you know, what have I done? And, you know, yeah. In the end, I, I feel like I'm good. <laughs> I've just been like a hip hopper, you know, like show and prove kind of thing. It doesn't matter your race, religion, status, any of that, you know, like graffiti writers are a fucking mix of nutcases, you know, right, yeah. all sorts, yeah, yeah. right? Skaters, same way. Right. show and prove and those become kind of those subcultural things because they're show and prove on your own whereas uh sports it's a team mm. so and I, I i i never liked teams i i i never i just didn't i don't know it's yeah, just one of those things you're an artist artists don't want it's like get the fuck out of here like i want to do my i played team sports you know i mean i was even a varsity volleyball player in high school got a letter jacket and everything you know volleyball but, yeah well so tall 
Yeah, I smashed on volleyball. And we were like the Slayer heavy metal fucking like volleyball team, all That's a bunch of long haired, tall Hessian kids, you know. And we'd show up and they'd be like, oh, fuck, who are these guys? You, guys you know, like- we smashed. Yeah, we smashed hard. Wow. The Del Norte Knights. Yeah. My sister was a four year volleyball player too. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So it's like I have experience with that. But even volleyball, it's not fucking football. I mean, we were like the dipshits of all the, the jocks at the school. Like they didn't validate our 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 letter jackets at all because volleyball was only offered as a varsity sport. <laughs> so they were like, you pick the one fucking sport, you're going to get varsity regardless. And we're just like, we just want to play volleyball. Fuck you guys and your fucking little bitchy rules and shit, you know? Right. <laughs> Fuck y'all, man. So funny. Yeah, but we didn't have cheerleaders. You know, they had the cheerleaders. <laughs> we didn't. Usually. The cheerleaders never came to our games. Oh, they might have come once. They, and they like were one of the guys on the mandated. team, like his sister was in the cheerleaders or something. He's like, come on, please. Yeah, yeah, we did not. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about uh, your relationship to cannabis. Oh. <laughs> like, I, it's maybe been a long like, one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, um, decades. Well, I guess to, to start, just like, what are the things that you love about cannabis? Love how it makes me feel. Yeah. Love, I love how it uh, softens the edges around things, makes things funny. I love when I catch myself with that just shit eating grin. Just it's like so happy about just the dumbest little yeah. thing, Sick. you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just like even a cute little kid at the beach. I'll just be like, oh, God, he's so cute. Like, holy shit. I'll just be like, I'm so high. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> <laughs> You're tripping, man. But uh, yeah, I just I just love how it makes me feel, you know, and in the different situations. It's always been something that activates me, um, mm. even Indica's. You know, like uh, my favorite thing to do in San Francisco was like smoke a whole joint of some super crucial and hop on that track bike and attack the hills. Sick. That was just yeah, something. Yeah. Again, that Zen, open mind, egoless, full body activation. Your fingers like, are stoned. Your toes are stoned. And yeah. it's just like, whoo, you know. And as someone who did tons of psychedelics, like I enjoy that body high, that ride, you know. And I've, I've taken that to extreme lengths with psychedelics, you know. Um, but there's, yeah, there's just, I just, I just dig it, man. Um, it, it, it almost, it's like any situation, it, it just kind of gives it this nice edge um, that makes it a bit more fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then there's also, you know, all the kind of therapeutic uses for it, you know, um, and having to learn, you know, the right time for the right thing. Okay. Kind of stuff. And I was just going to ask you that. Is there, yeah. you know, is there time where it doesn't work for things? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, I've even been, I've been testing some weeds cause I'm going to put my name on a signature strain. Yes. And, that's um, so good. you know, some of them are really fucking disoriented and I just can't put oh, my wow. name on them. Um, you know, uh, I used to be uh, a lot more uh, sativa heavy and I've grown to, uh, really pretty much just stick with indicas now indicas and hybrids sativas are just a bit too disorienting lately i might be getting you know like a strong sativa is some shit i mean that's drugs you know like it gets crazy and even the stuff that i've been testing 
normally at a, a regular dispensary, you're pretty solid high grade is going to be around 20 to 25 percent THC. We're talking into the 30s now. Oh, Jesus like, it's Christ. getting weird. Yeah. So like um it's just such a different beast when it gets like that. Right. You know? Um so you know it's it's kind of just uh you know feeling it out, you know. Um and I've really gotten into using C B D too. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would push more so than THC, more so than just straight up smoking weed or whatever. People should be using CBD. As the, if for like a medicinal supplement yep. in their life. Yeah. 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 Uh, lots of uh, elderly people are now hip to it and using it on yes. a daily. I use it daily. Uh, I use it uh, especially in the middle of the night. Like if I, uh, Sometimes I have to get up to go use the bathroom in the middle of the night, and then it can be a little tricky to get back to sleep. Oh. I kind of feel a little gross, kind of awake again a little bit. And I'll take a little bit of a liquid CBD, and it brings my heart rate down and my body temperature, and I just oh. chill out. It's not even that noticeable, but it works, and it works within minutes with the stuff that I've got. And God damn, it's just so great. I, I had insomnia last year for about oh. two months. It was really heavy. It was one of the heaviest kind of mental health periods of my life and uh the cbd after trying all different sorts of things really helps the most oh, this uh, you know awesome to hear that yeah it really really does help you know it was uh it was a rough time but it's also what led me to san diego which is cool you know it's all good oh, cool. <laughs> yeah did uh have you tried you know i I want to ask you like dabbing, which I know dabbing oh, is yeah. this crazy like that free dip. base. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> I'm yeah. not talking about getting obliterated. I'm talking about the experience of that high is so yeah. fucking clean. It's, it's different. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's kind of like DMT, where it's just like this immediate rush, and it's really heavy, and then it wears off pretty quickly and pretty cleanly. And then you're kind of ready for another one, you know? <laughs> I have friends that pretty much just dab, you know? Um, it's never been a thing that I've really been into. I'm an old, you know, kind of hey, hippie. Kind of hippie, joints. dude. Like, yeah. that's the thing. I like joints. I don't I like bongs. Uh, bongs with, like, ice water is so nice. Oh, cool. uh, I love uh, mm-hmm. my volcano vape. Yeah. I love a little, cool. just a little pen vapes are great sometimes. Um but yeah, you know, whatever. The only thing I kind of don't fuck with so much is edibles. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, just because it, it you know, it uh, synthesizes more as a psychedelic in that form. And that's the kind of feeling that I think my consciousness has oh. got what it needs to from that world and is kind of over it. Yeah. That's the feeling I get. It's just like, bro, come on, man. Really? We got to do this again? It's unnecessary, homie. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, no, no. I've noticed that with cannabis a lot. You meet people older in life and be like, hey, you want some cannabis? They're like, no, no, no. They basically had had their life's fill when they were a teenager. And it oh, sounds sure. similar to you with psychedelics. It's like you kind of just had that amount that you needed or you were, I don't know. Yeah. Well, to me, it was a, t- a teacher. And at a certain point, it was like, bro, you've learned this. You got this, Mm, you know, mm. especially after I started doing the meditation retreats, 
Right. Like I, I have a metaphor about a door. So let's say you take uh, something like LSD. All right. So it comes on and there a door appears and you're kind of pushed through the door into the other side and the door shut behind you. Mm-hmm. And then you're just in there and you just got to kind of have to fucking deal with it. And then when it's ready, it spits you out, right? And shows you the doors, you're closing it, right? Something like DMT, you hit it, you skip the door, you're in the other side, and you're there for about 10 minutes, and then boop, you're back out like it didn't even happen, and you miss the door again, right? Mm. Meditation, the door's always there. You always see the door. When you're ready, you open the door, you step in, you hang out in there as long as you wish under your own control, right? And then come back out and shut the door and it's always there for you. But the space on the other side of that door is basically the same. Oh, I love it. Right? Um, So it's just, you know, it's just your approach. So I think that once you've gone the meditative route, you've, you've learned it and you've, un- you've seen the door, or you, you know, have, and you have the tools. That's the thing. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, to access that space through a substance just feels artificial as it is you now. And, uh, kind of not, uh, not so controlled, you know? Right. I mean, every trip I've been on has been different pretty dramatically even you know that's kind of um awesome. yeah you know i mean and good and bad for right. sure you right. know um i've learned a lot from bad trips yeah i was gonna say they're all teachers that's just a either you get the teach teaching or you go fucking crazy yeah sometimes people yeah the right that's the thing with the egoless space some people can't handle that they don't have the capacity for it you know there's like that idea of the the seventh son of the seventh son of the, you know, like the old soul that it takes seven generations for some or a soul to get it all figured out. And then they can move on kind of like a reincarnation thing where you keep getting reborn until you're a bodhisattva where you've dedicated your whole living life to service and you're out of the cycle of rebirth. So you know, some people are at the first level of their soul and they take psychedelics and they are not at all prepared for that and it can fuck them up, you know? And then you run into somebody who's like, say, an old soul and they're connecting with something deep that they know from their previous lives, so to speak, you know? or the Even in Buddhist circles, I'll talk about ancestral karma. You know, that like I might be working out the karma right now of my great, great, great grandfather because the difficulties that he had in his life reflected in how he raised his son. And then then my great, great grandfather and then great grand, you know what I mean? All the way back to how my father dealt with things like trauma, discipline, uh, fear, right? Tense situations it's all based on how it was dealt with before. So it's up to you and your generation to, you know, finish that work or completely let it go. (laughs) 
so that you can move forward. You know, that's, uh, yeah. You know, even thinking of, let's say like the, the discipline example, I was disciplined physically by my father on occasion. Um, it was somewhat traumatic as it always is as a little kid. But I know for a fact that the physical discipline I received from him was paled in comparison to what he received from his father. Now, his dad probably didn't discipline my dad as much as his father had, right? And knowing how I am, if I had children, uh, I would be hard-pressed to lay my hands on them. Right. But maybe it would be like yelling, which is like... But that's the thing. That's the karma. That's the ancestral karma. So you, you are coming with things, right? Yeah, and you can't, you right. can't uh, yeah. kind of dispute that, but it can be something that's helpful, again, in considering, let's say, the place of your, uh, your spirit in releasing this world of physicality and death and sickness and going into the death state clear and ready. You know, I think that's the big thing I've learned on the retreats is you really do get rid of your fear of death. It's just as inevitable as the next breath. Yes. But your death is only a breath away. <laughs> it only takes one stop. Right. And you're done. So, you know, again, those are those things where in the woods and meditation after day after day after day, when I realize stuff like that, it leaves this huge lasting impression in my heart, but it's really hard to explain it in words, like what I feel like I understand, you know? Yeah, 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 uh, completely. It's and trippy. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> Back on drawing. Okay. Uh, what about pre... Actually, I want to ask you about tracing. Yes. Do you, and actually, is it not just tracing, but like drawing from life, tracing, drawing from memory? How does it, how's there's a lot of that. Yeah. In my world, it's, it's absolutely that it's a big mix. Um, I love, I love, uh, what I call translating photographs into illustrations. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, there's tracing involved. But on a photograph, there aren't any lines. Yes. Like if I'm tracing a car or a face, I'm determining where the lines are with every motion of the pen or pencil. Everything is a decision. Some things get left out. Some things get smoothed. smoothed. But there is a... um, Our eyes work really well. And the average person can tell when an everyday object looks a little wrong. Artists, ever since the lenses became available, which was the mid-1400s when they started making camera obscuras, and they were using the same method I'm using now, where they would project an image from a dark room or from a bright room into a dark room with a lens in the wall, it shows reversed, a flipped 
image on the reverse wall inside the dark room, the artist would put up a piece of tracing paper and quickly mark the edges of the contours of whatever they were drawing. Let's say it was a person, right? Yeah. Then they take that, put it on the canvas, transfer it with a pencil, with you know charcoal or whatever, okay. to get your sketch up there just right, photographically, you might say, right? Or uh, and then uh, and then. Right. But then you've got like the, the basics are all there. And then you work from the model in life and create the picture. You know, like a lot of tattooers are great at doing portraits, um, but it's just a technique. Uh, it's a uh, it's not a magic. <laughs> it's a technique. Um, so there's there's this uh, part of me where especially in drawing people, let's say, yeah. let's say, especially women. Um, any five-year-old can look at one of my drawings and tell if she's cross-eyed or her nose is crooked or her mouth is weird. Any, anybody, I could draw a picture of a pickup truck and people aren't going to be as critical. I could give it an extra uh, wheel even yeah. and people will be like, not even trip. Oh, that's a cool truck, Mike. But you draw people and they become, everybody's a critic and rightfully so. Cause we're biologically looking at each other with incredible detail, everybody that we pass and making these judgments and yeah. storing things away. Um, so to me, the, the world around represents people visually mostly through the photographic medium and it's been that way for a good hundred years or so or man even 200 i guess not late 1800s i suppose photographic means we're like in uh just starting to get used to newspapers and whatnot that kind of thing reproductive yeah so um so to me to work from a photograph of a person to make an illustration it's kind of like i'm trying to be as precise as possible so that you're not lost in the drawing you're seeing a real person there right that's the fucking tricky part and especially since it's so minimal since i'm only using black and white so yeah, there's this thing about, but again, even, you know, with the photo reference, I change a lot of things, you know what I mean? Often the hair is completely made up on the drawings of girls. Often the outfits are completely made up, uh, the tattoos for sure. Right. Um, you know, but there's this, this, this thing like, and it's another thing too, that I don't know how it happened, but there is a personality that comes through in their eyes that I can't draw. I don't know how that happens. You know, like the, the personality that comes through in the drawings I've done of women from 20 years ago, there's a difference. Like the, the, technically it looks pretty much exactly the same in its application, but just looking at it, there's, way more of an emotional response to the stuff that I've done lately. And I think that's just this thing of doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And 
it's almost like this thing outside of yourself starts to refine the work. Oh, that's sick. Like, I don't know how it's different. Because even, you know, let's say in the, the tracing of the face, I'm still doing it kind of the same way, but there's some something that I've gotten that I didn't have 20 years ago. And I can't explain it, but it Love does it. show in the work. It's like connection oh. to the process. And then through yeah. that, it's almost it's especially, like... Especially, I mean, that's the thing with portraits, you know, like... Like, why the fucking Mona Lisa? It's not a great painting. It's not its best at all. It's really kind of underwhelming when you see it in person. It's kind of small. small there's usually yeah. a huge fucking crowd around it. And you're right. just like, we're this in the sucks. fucking Louvre. This one's the sick one? Are right. you kidding me? Like, what about all those ones in the hallway that are way better? Or right behind you. But, you're like, look at that. But there is something about those eyes. When you see it, you're looking at a person. You're connected. It feels like almost like a photograph where it's this it's this person. That's the power of photography sometimes, too. Even black and white photography, which I just love because sometimes I think it gets to the soul of a person. You know, there's some I really love about that, you know, especially like subject matter like a guy i follow on instagram goes by suitcase joe he photographs people in skid row in los angeles all black and white i think it's all digital but they're fantastic and they're so gut-wrenching and he often will put a whole caption of their story and how they how long they've lived on skid row and what they've done and you know it's it's really really heavy but there's something in there as an artist and someone who draws people that interests me because their personalities are so obvious. It's like the, all the heartache that they've gone through in their lives. You can see it in their fucking eyes, man. And that's, that's something that it it touches me, you know, even like, you know, when you'd be in San Francisco rolling around skating or biking, you'd see some sketchy homeless people sometimes and, you know, and you get their eye just in passing and you just be like, this poor fool has been through some shit. A lot of those old crackheads, you could definitely feel that. Yeah. Why they're so like, I've broken up a few fights in the tenderloin between crackheads and it's turned into like hugs, you oh, know, awesome. just, just because like they're so wound up, nobody's listening to them. They're yeah. so sad. You know, they just lash out and they're on drugs cause they're so sad and you know, but if you give them some eye contact and give them some space to calm down, you know, crackheads aren't easy to calm down. <laughs> but, you know, those those have been powerful moments, you know. But I can just see, like, you know, just two crackheads about ready to fist fight. And you're just looking at them. And you can just already see the pain in their eyes. Like, they don't want to do it. But it's just like the world around them is rough. And somebody did something to somebody. And I'm just this big goofy white guy big enough you know to step in the middle and be like you guys better fucking quit it or i'll let you both out (laughs) stop right now now what's the problem is it you know what's the problem and then they're like oh well actually i'm off my medication and the fucking guy at the corner store wouldn't sell me a cigarette and this guy owes me two bucks and he doesn't have it and i was gonna fight him and he doesn't have it and you know it's you know and i'm like calm down like relax let's let's talk for a second you know yeah 
there's there's some of those guys I, I see when I go back to visit San Francisco and always be like, hey, man, do you remember me? Oh, don't no they way. call you? Don't they call you gorilla? Yeah, they do. What's your name, dude? You know, how do you know me? You know, oh, I cool. broke up a fight, you know? Yeah, there's a few people like that, you know? And it's funny because often they don't remember, you know? Yeah. But when I bring it up, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those things, especially as a big, tall, like, tattooed guy. I mean, they kind of recognize me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even if it's been years, they're like, oh, that dude used to live in the neighborhood, you know? And often in the Tenderloin, I thought they figured I was one of them. That's how the whole OG thing came around. You know, I would have never taken on that title for myself, but especially in the Tenderloin, everybody called me OG. Oh, weird. You know? Really? Everybody. Straight up. And in that context, basically what I got out of that was they're assuming I was a survivor, like an addict, maybe oh, a prisoner, right. somebody who's been through some shit and I got my shit together, but right. I'm still in the hood and I don't, I'm not scared of the hood, but they're like, what's up, OG? Wow. You survived. You're old. That's the thing with the OGs. You know, it was like, uh, it was a, it, even in gang circles, you know, it was the survivors. Right. What the, like my Mexican homies would call the veteranos, the veterans, the old guys, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Anos are the real OGs. Like they, did their time on the streets and probably killed people and survived and probably got shot and all that shit. But now they're older. They got their cool low rider. They got their nice little house and their chill wife and they don't want any fucking problems. They just want to live their life. But the young people see them and recognize their tattoos and their affiliations and are like, Oh shit, that's an OG right there. He survived it. Survived. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the thing with, within the gang culture, like survivors are rare. <laughs> right i well, would think so you don't see that many old gangsters like even my friend Trakes was on the level i think for the most part uh, wasn't mixed up in so much gang shit and had uh, a lady and a kid and was doing good but still got shot down in his 40s you know what i mean and he it, it didn't surprise any of us that knew him it's just that life and that's the thing like I have friends that got killed because uh, they killed a kid's dad and the kid had just been waiting for his chance and caught up with wow. my homie in his 40s or 50s, you know, and it just always had it out for him, killed his dad, you know, you're not going to let that shit go. Right. And you might have your life together, you might be doing great things even in the community and you just get shot down again, karma, you know, hmm. sometimes that, you know. That's why I've really tried to avoid those kinds of tense, like violent situations, because that shit follows you. You know, people don't forget, you know. So, yeah, it's just heavy, you know, especially I think, you know, when people get their shit together and they're like community leaders and, uh, you know, trying to get kids out of gangs and stuff and they still just end up getting capped, you know. But that's, that's the world they were in. It sh probably should have happened when they were in their 20s, you know? <laughs> For real, though. And they all yeah. expected it. And right, that's the thing. Right. Sometimes, you know, you, as an OG, you just shake your head like, I don't know how the fuck I got spared. You know? Totally. I've been shot at a few times, and I've never been in a gang. You know, oh, really? I've had, oh, sure. Many times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oakland and Albuquerque. Yeah. Was it graffiti? Yeah. Ah, uh, well, let's see. I mean, there was a, an afternoon even we were in Oakland and some kids came by and were just shooting above our heads and the 
brick wall was breaking to the point where like the little parts of the bricks were falling on our faces. I mean, the bullets were that close and we packed up our shit and left. We got held up at gunpoint on lower hate. Uh, got shot at in Albuquerque a few times. Uh, cowboys shot at us from a pickup truck one night when we were writing graffiti. Um, I've had gangster kids shoot at me a few times running away. Yeah. 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 Sure. <laughs> and I always just assume, you know, everybody's seen some shit like that, but Albuquerque is, is particular. It's still the wild west. I've, I've seen friends unload clips into cars a few times. Whoa. Yeah. Middle of the day even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just one of those things, you know, and I never, you know, even as a, a, a teenager, like I had, I, laid out some people that I wasn't sure if they were alive or not just that attacked us as skateboarders. And I hit somebody upside the head with uh, trucks and just oh, dropped them and just ran. You don't right. know, you don't know, you know, you run. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I've seen all kinds and, and I've had to dish it out on occasion, you know, never always like crying and screaming. I don't want any problem. I don't want any problem. And then boom, you know, but oh, man. it's yeah. Albuquerque's tense. Yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> and Oakland too. And I mean, the Bay Area was hot. I mean, uh, a lot of people I knew as graffiti writers carried guns all through the '90s wow. and double O's and whatnot. A lot of them were drug dealers too. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the thing with the graffiti scene. I yeah. mean, even the messenger scene, bro. I mean, there's some dr uh, drug addicts and drug dealers and some real shady people that can't have like a job on the books, man. Right. And they end up being bike messengers. And then there's other kids that are just like, they just love messengering and just like riding their bike around and are just like, oh, I can do this for a job. Fuck yeah. Right. But <laughs> there's always those fringe elements. I mean, I know that even in among barbers, like some barbers are fucking junkies, you know, wow. and it's just, you wouldn't think, but it's like, yeah, they're cool. They just go out back between haircuts and get a little whoop, whoop and get back to work. Wow. Tattooers is the same. Yeah. That's the, that's fringe shit. Fringe. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's, it's around and those fringe characters kind of can get into some shit sometimes. Did you ever see Breaking Bad? The TV uh, thing? Part, parts of it. And we never finished yeah, the whole I thing. couldn't watch it. Yeah. It was too, it was too real to my experience in New Mexico. Way well, too it? real. They nailed it. Oh, it was, yeah. It's about tweakers in Albuquerque. Like oh, it was masks. Albuquerque, yeah. It was. And they did it really, really, really well to the point where I was like, fuck this show. You're like, I, I can't live watch this. This, this shit isn't entertaining yeah. at all. Right. Yeah, like getting jumped by like tweaked out, bald gangster homies in tracksuits is not fucking cool. No. It's not entertaining. As someone who lived through it, I don't find it entertaining at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, but whatever. It made me who I am. And I'm, I'm, glad for the experiences that i've had it's i feel like as an american it's given me a good perspective on what's possible in this country and what's this country's kind of really about you know like a full kind of a total perspective or a, a... yeah you know i mean i've been able to the only place i haven't spent a lot of time is the south you know yeah but i've i've spent lots of time seeing the northwest upper midwest I've lived in new york city been all over the east all over the west coast lived in different cities yeah. you know southwest i got handled so yeah it's just interesting uh again in like how i filter through politics and whatnot is based on my experience right and i've been all over and i've met all different kinds of people and i i don't i'm not prejudiced towards anyone based on their looks 
You yeah. know what I mean? You right. just, in my experience, you can't do that. It's, no. it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's a country is full of really interesting people. I think that sometimes just get written off, you know, and it's just like, no, no, just talk, you know. I, even the whole beef between liberals and conservatives, like really you put two people together, inevitably usually they find some common ground, unless they're just straight up assholes that don't know how to conversate or don't care to. Well, fuck those people. Well, and that's how the, that conversation would be constructed. Like if I, I agree the same. I think everybody yeah. is a good person. It's just how you start that interaction. You know? Right. I also, you know, there's this part of me too, when I meet a new person, I understand that idea of the ancestral karma. Mm. <laughs> and it's mm. just like, well, this person's personality might be rooted in trauma and difficulties in their lives. And, you know, like, shit, uh, I'm not going to make any judgment calls. Yeah. Even when people are nasty, just like it could just be a day to day thing. Well, I know f for a fact, like if I get I always ask for decaf coffee. But if somebody slips me regular caffeine, oh, I turn into a goddamn asshole, like a super fucking monster, really short with people. And I get yeah. sweaty and I just get really like agitated. Yeah. And I, I just I remember that when I see other people that seem that agitated and are kind of causing a scene somewhere. I have some compassion for them. I'm just like, oh, they probably just got too much caffeine. And they're really not tripping on that little simple thing, the caffeine, you know, yeah. and it's really setting them off. <laughs> and they're going to say something stupid. Like it's going to be a Karen moment. <laughs> I wonder how many Karen moments are fully fueled by like sugar and caffeine. <laughs> you a know? disproportionate amount. I would think so. <laughs> yeah. It makes everybody kind of lose it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. I do love the whole phenomenon, though, of the Karens. I love watching those fucking videos. I'm so glad that people have their phones ready to the video of record people when they start acting out and talking shit. I mean, that's really what the whole thing with the George Floyd and all this stuff is about. Is like we got the cameras. We got our phones. We're ready to pull them any minute, you know, and it's got people tense, you know? It's, it's pretty wild. But again, we're catching catching people doing shit that, you know, anybody that's been around is known forever. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's the same. It's like, now we're just able to even, package it. Even as like it. a graffiti writer, there was times when I, as the eldest white gentleman in the group, was the front man to deal with the police. Oh, Absolutely. And sure. I knew that. And I volunteered for that. And I was ready for it. I was always apologetic, straightforward. Take me to jail. My friends didn't have anything to do with this, you know. But we all knew I had to be the front man. And there's been times when I wasn't because the police officer decided to choose one out of the group to hassle. <sighs> yeah. And often it was the brown fella in the group. And, uh, yeah, that's just real. I mean, people talk about all this police shit. You know, and I've been through it all. I mean, I know police can be out of hand and brutal and assholes. So often, we used to joke about it as skaters. It was like the kids that were the jocks that, like, did really well in high school became fucking cops because they felt righteous and whatnot. And they up and hassle us skaters and be like, bro, I know you. You're a piece of shit, right. bro. Like, yeah, you were the captain of the football team. Now you're a cop. Big fucking deal, bro. Fuck off. You know, you have no authority with us. Like, fuck your badge. Chase us. Great. Let's see if you can run, fat ass. Right. Yeah. yeah. Bring it. We're <laughs> skaters. Like, fuck you. 
Okay. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the thing. I mean, to me, that's, the, the, that's where the root of my contempt of the police comes from, you know, but I also have a lot of compassion for their job, man. It sucks. Not it really, one. there's a lot of yeah. things that they shouldn't be dealing with. Right. Which I think is a great part of all the conversation that's coming out. I think people that, yeah, are maybe going to commit suicide should get a mental health professional there, not a fucking cop with his gun out. Dude, you know? seriously. Um, also, I've uh, been witness, I guess that has happened that one time, to a suicide and had had to help. It was a kid upstairs that lived for me in Oakland, and he hung himself, and his girlfriend found him. And I helped her deal with the situation and wait for the cops to come. And I just felt so bad for the cops. I was just like, what a fucking awful situation. Just unfucking believably awful. And these are the poor fucking guys that have to deal with this. And then later tonight, they might have to deal with somebody pulling a gun on them on the street or some shit. Like, what a fucking shitty job. You know, even then I was like, I guess it's a it's a wrongful death. It's a suicide. They're going to need to investigate it, but I think it would have been better to have some healthcare professionals there first to help out uh, my neighbor, the girl that was left to deal with it, to cut him down and shit. Like it was fucked up. But again, in that experience, even though it was that it was so terrible and kind of haunting, I learned so much in that experience. And part of it was the cops. It was just being like, man, what a bummer fucking job. God yeah. damn it. No wonder you'd be in a bad mood going out of here. Like people are just like, like to me, it was to even in that case, I feel like the kid that hung himself couldn't have been more disrespectful or rude to the one person he loved the most, which was his girlfriend, you know? And just, you know, to me to be the cop and just to be like, man, human beings can be so fucking mean so fucking mean it's just like your last act is like a diss you know yeah and just like a, a disgusting display you know it's just so fucked and i just uh, man i just was like how the fuck do they deal with that shit because they have to go to all the awful shit the worst of the worst of the worst they got to go they got to write the fucking report they got to think about it yeah. they've got to relay it in legal speak, just in case there's malpractice or something, or it was foul play. Oh, awful, awful, awful job. Yeah, I have a few friends that are police officers. It's, it's a fucking mess. But at the same time, I'm like, they have always conceded to me that they've run into shitty cops and they don't know what to do about it per se because they, you know, they speak up, they lose their job, they get ostracized, sometimes targeted. Right. <sighs> it's a big fucking mess, you know, and it's just, it's just so stupid. I think one, uh, one thing I, I love is how black lives matter was this reaction to racial profiling in the police, right? Mm -hmm. uh, statistic, you know, statistically more black folks getting jacked up by the fucking cops and all that, you know? And I think it was interesting, maybe not the best phrase to use because, you know, so many people then now are like, all lives matter. And that becomes this big fucking mess, you know, even though, well, yeah, all lives matter, bro. But that's not the point of right. the black lives thing. Like you're not getting it, you know, <laughs> but then for the cops 
to take a race issue and make it about the color of their fucking uniforms is just so perfect about how stupid they are to go blue lives matter, right? Black lives matter is a race issue. Their <laughs> comeback to that is about the color of their uniform. You know, it's what like, wait, you're comparing an occupation to a race issue? What the fuck yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> you know, just, oh my God, you stupid sons of bitches. And now you're all going to stand behind this blue line so that we're, you're basically putting us in a position where all cops are going to be the same. They're all going to sit behind this blue line. They're all going to protect each other, which creates even more animosity. It's kind of the point of the <laughs> oh whole my God. thing. And that's led to all this, you know, police reform, which is good. You know, so I, you know, I, I we'll see. I just think how they're, how they dealt with it. It's just like so funny to see police using uh, brutality against protesters, <laughs> protesting police brutality. <laughs> That's, <fucked up. laughs> That's so good, dude. Oh, that fucking kills me. Oh my God. It's like, oh, why are you protesting? Because they fuck us up. Well, they're fucking us up because we're protesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. I, I, I guess they're uh, they're brutal. Yeah. <laughs> they are true to their word. Yeah. Yeah. All these peaceful motherfuckers. Now, again, you know, I think uh, protest to me means nonviolence. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm not even into destruction of property. Like when it turns into looting, I think that's opportunism, and really uh devastating to those neighborhoods you know um i'm all about protest you know it's just when people go to a protest with weapons and not expect the police to use your their weapons against your weapons you're fucking tripping yeah you know like there's a big difference between a protest and a riot you know what i mean like and, and, you know, they have their places, you know. Did you, do you remember the yellow jacket riots in France that happened last year? It was about uh, oil prices in France. And every Sunday they would put on these, or, these yellow, uh, the workmen's vests, like the street workers' vests, because yeah. it was a labor uh, thing. And they would riot every Sunday, very orderly, <laughs> but fucking throwing bricks like and riot. battling with police. Yeah. And it went on every weekend for a while. I don't know if it got much mainstream press in America, but it was just so fucking great. It's like the the French have this like tradition of like, oh yeah, we're going to go out on Sunday and we're going to fuck shit up because <laughs> we're pissed. And if they don't fucking listen, we're going to bring it to them, you know? And they got the concessions oh, that they needed. Yeah, I think it was about gas prices. And they were just basically saying, um, you know, if the gas prices increase that much, it's really going to have an effect on the working class in the rural areas um, because they need to move product, you know, and they were just like, you do this to us, you're going to devastate our distribution system. We, yeah. we, you know, you're really, you're trying to do this to help society in this way, but it has this other right. thing that you're not considering. And they felt so strongly about it. So many people that, yeah, they, they got organized. You know, but it was just like Sundays. Then they'd go back to work on Monday. <laughs> yeah, and they wouldn't even labor out, strike. They're just throw like on their, just throw on their vest and go smash. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's it's just uh, yeah. Well, f- did you ever live in Seattle? Yeah, uh, yeah. 
What's your feeling on the the whole Chaz thing? That was bizarre for me Remarkable. to see it from the outside. Like, what yeah. the fuck? They were just like, go ahead. All right. <laughs> I know it didn't last, but what a what a wild uh, way to deal with that situation. I thought that took some balls, actually. Yes. Like, well, let's just see. I mean, yeah. You know, it turns out no, they put up boundaries and they killed people and <laughs> she got loose. <laughs> you know. But uh, it was radical, yeah, it was though. so fascinating. I mean, I know Capitol Hill. I just can't imagine it being like this autonomous zone. So crazy. Yeah. Like, the whole world was looking at that. Like, They're like, what? wait a minute. America has 51 states now? <laughs> what the fuck? And you one know? of them's three blocks long. <laughs> it's so, yeah. But God bless Seattle. Like, what a bizarre turn of events, you know? Yeah. But, and I think ultimately kind of an interesting, uh, experiment you know and i think the the things mm. that, that people will learn from that will last a long time you know it's like what what did they do wrong what did they do right right oh you know, like strategize yeah yeah i, I don't I, that's the thing i don't know it was such a bizarre you know that's why i was i've been asking anybody that's lived in seattle like what the fuck do you think of that like wow you know but that's cool. I guess it could have happened. I mean, I guess it kind of could have happened anywhere, but it seems it seems uh, understandable that it happened in Seattle. Yeah. I, from what I, if, if, you know, just from my visits to Seattle, it seems like it's that kind of place where people will have opinions and will get up into it, you know? I guess it's like more punk than I thought. I thought it, I used to think of it as this kind of like uh, yeah. I've always city. seen it that way. Well, it's where grunge came from. Yeah, but also Amazon, Microsoft, like this sure heavy. But I'm saying it has it has a subcultural meaning, and it, it did attract those kinds of people just as much as say San Francisco attracted a certain kind of mm. junky artist crowd in the '90s. Seattle did too. Yeah, you know, and they came with their own ideas about politics and you know what uh the nine to five and all that you know yeah seattle and was always WTO. kind of a kindred spirit in that way for yeah. sure yeah yeah <laughs> it's just a trip yeah i never would have thought that would somebody would allow that you know just the cops would be like oh fuck it <laughs> Dude, that was a, or the mayor was just like no 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 stand down let's just yeah they're like yeah, maybe yeah. they've got the answers let's just see how this plays out and that's fine I thought that was kind of cool it was like you know I felt bad for the businesses in Capitol Hill like wait a minute wait a minute what <laughs> all of a sudden the city's not involved and what well, well, what the fuck like what if the electric goes out what if the water oh, stops God. running what if totally. uh, anything like who's doing who's running the show <laughs> to, to pay my utility bill right. like what the fuck like, like, how's yeah. this work yeah so bizarre huh yeah well during a pandemic too so it's not like yeah business was not as usual sure depending on depending though i mean uh, there's so many businesses that were deemed essential right from the start like all the shipping businesses all the construction all that kind of stuff just kept on trucking man yeah bike you know? shops too Sure. Right. So um, it really depends. I think that's been a real reckoning for American workers too, to see like, say how essential, let's say their job is yeah. or how essential it is for them to have an office. Yeah. 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 All that is really up in the air now. You know, it's, it, it, I, I feel like it was one of those 
the pandemic in general is one of those things where people are just kind of trying to respond in the moment and try to do the right thing. And it's just, it, it like showed us what's possible in a new way that I don't think we can go back from now. You know, I think a lot of people are just going to continue to stay home and work from home, you know, and some students are going to continue to work from home and not go to school. You know, I've, that's been a big uh, topic of conversation among my friends with children. You know, like how to school them. Now there's going to be these options, part-time, full-time, virtual, all at home. Wow. Exactly, wow. exactly. And how that's affecting the kids. Right, you know? like the level of education you get. But Well, sure. I mean, even just like the kids that I'm around, they're bummed. They don't get to see their friends every yeah, day. Yeah, that sucks. And they kind of think the uh, teaching through the computer is bullshit. Right. Like even the 12 year olds are finding ways to like keep their picture up on screen yep, while exactly. they go to the kitchen and fuck off or play video games and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the kids are figuring out all oh, that yeah. shit, you know, sure. it's just like, Oh fuck. That's the thing. I mean, think of this, like these kids, this generation, right. like that how trickle. are they going to graduate? If they're in sixth grade now, six years from now, like this is going to be weird. Even for my friends that graduated high school just this year, they all did drive through uh, ceremonies with their family in the car and their outfit on and just reach out the window and grab their diploma. They're like, thank you. Yeah, dude. It's so weird. So weird. Oh, my God. That's the thing. It's been so fascinating to see how this has affected, you know, kind of society in these different little ways, you know, even how there was like a meat shortage because of the distribution thing and how since the restaurants closed, like all of a sudden the demand had to completely shift, you know, and it's, oh my God, so many people have just lost their fortunes and And other people people don't have jobs. Absolutely. Other people are doing well. I had a, a friend that opened a restaurant and it's just a counter and oh. it's uh, in kind of a big open area. And it turns out that's exactly what it needs to be. So wow. they're killing it. They're killing it. They're Good coming out during, they came open yeah, during it all. And they're doing great because wow. so many of the businesses around them were dine in only. Right. And they just weren't at that place yet to do that. You know, thank wow. God. Yeah. So they're going to, they're doing great. I mean, that's the thing. Some, some things are doing well, you know, and again, even some of us like myself, this has actually been pretty great for my mental health. I like the way that society is calmed down and quieted down and there's not so much traffic oh, and yeah. people are cooking at home more. And it's just, you know, the isolation I think is, the, is a problem, you yeah. know, even when I was going on my neighborhood walks during the stay at home, I mean, there was, I might pass a single person in a two hour walk, which was just like, damn. I mean, they're saying quite clearly on the news, like you could still go for a walk in your neighborhood, but so many people just did not leave their house period. And I just think that is so dangerous, especially for your immune system. Our immune systems thrive by mixing it up, you know, and uh, being able to deal with the things that come at us, 
You know what I mean? It's like when you're a, I see a little kid like put their hand on something and then put it in their mouth. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, don't do that. No, he gets strong. That's kind of how kids get stronger. That's why they naturally do that. You know, on some level. So as soon as this like the pandemic popped off i was like i need to spend more time outside in the open air so that i'm flushing my lungs with fresh air yeah with exercise too if that's the thing and early on um there were little videos of people who caught uh covid and uh, uh went through their experience and said quite plainly that if you remain uh reticent and lie down it'll fucking get you I mean, that's exactly how it gets worse is by being reticent and, and just chilling. It's a lung infection. You've got to get that shit moving, get it out, huck uh-huh. it up. You got to burn it, you know? Huh. So that's, and that's, and that's the unfortunate part of seeing how politicians and whatnot are dealing with it. They're telling us masks and social distance, but they're not telling us anything about how to be healthy, how to right. get, we need to get exercise. We need to eat right, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they're not, I mean, they're not playing that up at all. You need, it's, you know, like. But how much do they need to hold yeah. everybody's hand? You know, like, just. Well, if they're holding our hand enough to tell us that we got to wear masks and we have to stay six feet from each other. And that's it. So I mean, what's what's the why? Why is it such a hard step to say, hey, man, maybe consider taking some vitamins. Maybe consider getting 30 minutes yeah. of cardio. That's what the doctors will tell you yeah. how to fight it. You know what I mean? Like. Right. Yeah, uh, actually staying at home is is worse. Yeah, don't get sedentary <laughs> and just fucking That's the he, that's the bummer. I mean, I even yeah. went through that with a friend's daughter. She was quarantined for like 2 weeks. I don't think she had COVID, but she had a nasty cold and they were just unsure. That poor fucking kid didn't leave her bedroom uh, for 2 weeks. Whoa. Like fuck that. Like yeah. what kind of exercise can well, she but, get? I mean, hey, you know, like I mean that's that, a tough call, man. That's a that's a bummer. Poor kid. I mean, she got through it. It's all good, but that's your meditation uh, retreat. That's your fucking thing. It's like, how do you take this bullshit and turn it into something less bullshit? Well, and you're right. So many people. That is what led them to thinking about meditation in a new way and trying to embody it and learn about it because of the difficulty of these situations. That's why I posted uh, a guided meditation on IGTV and on my Sick. podcast simply because people need that lesson and they. Sick have ideas about it, you know, and are uh, suspect of, you know, guru type people. But hey, Mike Giant, he, he knows how to meditate. He, he told me how to do it. It's all good. Yeah. You know, that, I, I'll listen to that, dude. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? Sharing different. info. Yeah. That, and that's all. Yeah. But but again, I think that's, again, it's how you react to the situation. You know, do you ha- face it head on? Do you use it as a learning experience? Or do you hide in your bedroom? for days on end and have everything delivered you know i mean everybody deals with it a little differently you know so because everybody's coming at it from a different place sure which is exactly that's just life right exactly and frankly you know the the number of cases in america doesn't surprise me at all um i mean we're not a very healthy society you know, um, when I lived in Amsterdam, a TV show that was about fat Americans, it would like, uh, they'd have like a, a camera in a car in a Walmart parking lot in Texas, and they'd see some fat 
person walking towards the front door of the Walmart, right? And they would do this like stat thing on screen, like this person weighs this many kilograms, they're this big around, they're this tall, this is what they eat. Burritos, Mountain Dew, da 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 da. This is his caloric intake every day. Aren't Americans incredible? Look how big they can get. Wow, Texas size. You know, and they have like the laughing tracks and stuff on the shows. Oh, you know, weird. people are just like, think it's so funny. Like, oh my God, look at that lady. She weighs 500 pounds. Isn't that amazing? Americans are crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's a whole show. The rest of the world shaming. just, that's the thing though. The rest of the world sees us as just really unhealthy, just slobs. You know what I mean? And to see that it, it jumped off like it did, it just, it, to me, it shows how many people really are unhealthy right. on some level. Not to say that you have to be unhealthy to get it at all. Right. You know what I mean? True. Um, it's just more how your body reacts to it, how you're able to fight it. The other thing I see is that the isn't going up as fast as the infection rate. So as you have more infections, oh. it actually dilutes the percentage of people who have died from it. See what I mean? So yeah, interesting. That's the thing with statistical information. You got to really kind of look at it from a kind of few different angles yeah. and see actually what they're. And again, too, any um, there's that whole thing where the hospitals were uh, kind of going bankrupt and. and danger of closing because nobody wanted to go to the hospital. Everybody canceled uh, elective operations and whatnot because they didn't want to go anywhere near a hospital because that's where the COVID patients were going. So it had this tremendously detrimental effect actually to the hospital system, but they could get COVID relief money if they had any COVID cases in their hospital. So anybody that had like any of the symptoms and died from their pre-existing conditions. They could call it a COVID death, even though they hadn't tested positive for COVID. So that really throws off the statistical information too. You know, so again, it's this big fucking mess of information and having to filter through it and decide for yourself almost your own personal story of like, well, I guess I'll believe this and I guess I won't believe that until I find evidence otherwise. I don't know. There yeah. seems like they could be feeding me full of bullshit. But again, day to day, I still just get up excited to go to the studio and go skateboarding and live my life. You know, it's all good. Yeah. And as things pop off, you know, they'll pop off. Yeah, you, you just kind of move accordingly. And trying to be prepared on some level, too. I just did some firearms training recently, just in case it gets to that. Um, if the police, you know, were uh, not responding to home invasion calls or something because they were covering a riot and you don't have a firearm or something to protect yourself, you're kind of fucked. And uh, a lot of people, especially here in California, are talking about that now. People with families, like, should I get a firearm? And I'm like, well, it's a right that we have. A lot of people, you know, in the rest of the world don't have that right. And... Uh, yeah, the police response time could be terrible. <laughs> so, then, are you taking like uh, courses? Is there like? Uh, yeah, basically, my uh, the last uh, podcast interview, my buddy Tony, oh, yeah. he's a he's an instructor, uh, works oh, at a gun oh. shop, and we went to a range, and uh, he oh, got cool. me. Uh, we just basically did a lot of drills, uh, keeping the weapon safe, 
keeping the safety on until just the moment that you need to pull the trigger and then putting the safety back on. Real simple things, but you just got to do it over and over and over. And every time you didn't put the safety back on, he'd be like, safety. You're like, God damn it. Sorry, dude. I'm trying. You know, I'll get it. I'll get it. By the end of the day, no, every fucking time, just like clockwork, like very, very safe use of the of the things. And I'd never uh, shot at a moving target with a shotgun. And that was really fun with with the the clay, uh, the little clay pigeon kind of things. It was really fun. And I was really good at it. I thought I'd be terrible, but I was about 90 percent accurate first time. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I've been shooting my whole life, though. Oh, you have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I grew up around it. Yeah, my dad had me shooting at probably 10 just to uh, not be scared of the gun. And also, I was a latchkey kid, me and my sister. So he wanted me to be able to protect the home while, and my sister while uh, mom and dad were both at work. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And and you so you have had guns your whole life then? You, like, grew up? Uh, You know, most of that period that I lived in San Francisco, I never did. You know, um, like... I guess it wasn't until I got up to Colorado. Oh, yeah. My father gave me the 38 that he taught me how to use. It still wow. has the receipts from the 80s and stuff. What? Still fires great. It's like a police issue 38. It's a really great gun. I love shooting it. It's my favorite. Um, but now, you know, I bought a semi-auto 45. I've got a shotgun, but it's not legal in California, so I need to get rid of that. I bought it in Colorado, and the laws are different state to state. Yeah. And I've got a nice hunting rifle too with a scope that's super, super fun to use. Do you have you ever run into like friends that have found out that you have guns or that you shoot and mm-hmm. then had like issues with that? I guess they didn't say anything about it if they did. Because I, I people, can't. Uh... Some people get real set off about guns. Oh, you know, actually, no. My friend Avery, uh, she fucking hates guns. Um, it's, it's probably a bit of a, a thorn in her foot in her relationship with me, you know? Interesting. But I don't know. I mean, it's a funny thing. I, I posted something about shooting recently, and I saw her husband uh, gave me a like on Instagram. So maybe maybe their family's starting to think a little differently. I mean, her husband's from Germany. I don't know if they're allowed to have guns in their home. That's what I'm finding. Uh, like my buddy that works at the gun shop uh, near San Jose – He's been selling tons of guns to uh, Chinese people. Tons and tons of Chinese immigrants coming for those tech jobs with their families. And they're like, oh, I can have a gun? I can protect my family in this way? Oh, hell yeah. Especially now. And especially with some anti-Chinese sentiment with the virus and stuff. They feel a bit targeted, maybe not so loved by the police or the neighborhood. So they're like, fuck, maybe I need to do this, you know, but they're, you know, Tony always tells them if you're going to spend 500 on a gun, you need to spend 4,500 on a instruction. Oh yeah. It should be, that should be the the first thing you have to pay for to be able to get. No, that's, that's the thing among firearms professionals. That's their attitude. It's all about training. And frankly, from what I understand among firearms professionals, that's their criticism of the police, too, is that they don't train enough. Oh, sure. Yeah. They should be training at least once a week under really uh, intense situations. You know, I hear Joe Rogan all the time saying that they should be at least like a purple belt in jujitsu 
just so they know how to properly handle and subdue someone right. and not fucking yeah, yeah. Just put your fucking knee on a guy's neck for 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had friends. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, like the whole, they're trying to like ban uh, chokeholds and stuff now. And I, I, I hate to say it. I kind of don't agree. I think a chokehold can be a great way to subdue somebody. You just have to know, uh, like anybody that does jujitsu, they, they choke each other out every fucking day, you know, and you just know there's a certain point where they go limp and you let them go and they sure. come back and everything's fine. Yeah. But if you hold on, yeah. you're going to kill them. Right. You know, it's like in the movies when somebody's getting choked to death, they hold them for like 30 seconds and then I they're know. dead. Or then no, they'll let them go. That's just like, when they went yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. You got to hold on for another <laughs> maybe four or five, bro. And it's going to get wild in a minute here when his body starts to freak out, uh-huh. you know. Um, but that's the, the that's the thing. You know, I think that, uh, yeah, uh, again, if they were just trained better. And again, I think they have too many fucking jobs. You know what I mean? cop i think cops really should just be responding to uh crime in action uh that kind of thing you know but like having to deal with like domestic disputes and stuff they might not be the best people um you know what i mean like there's a lot of shit like the kid that killed himself and the cops had to come deal with that. Like, yeah, I was like, like fuck, bro, you have to give people speeding tickets too. Like, right. What a fucked up job, man. I mean, it seems like it should be split up into Almost lots of different jobs. Yeah. That's interesting. That's where I'm at. And that's like the reforms that I like to see. Like now, I don't know if they've started to do that, but it seemed like, um, if you call nine one one, and they should be able to get you to, they should almost be the conduit to then another agency or a, or a, it's a, a switcher board range of it. Exactly. What's your problem? I'm going to send the right person for the job. That would be right? fantastic. Like homeless outreach. You really need to send a fucking cop with a shotgun out. Yeah. Right. It's like, maybe fuck. not. Maybe that's going to continue to create animosity between the two groups. Maybe there needs to be somebody different, even with say like uh like I have an old girlfriend that's a psychedelic researcher and she cool. does like um, she can administer psychedelics in uh, psychological like therapy oh, sessions man. and stuff. Uh, it's really great stuff. But she also if uh, at uh, festivals and rave kind of places, yeah, uh, she sets up uh, the safe zone where if you're having a hard time you can go to these people and they have experience with all the psychedelic and whatnot substances that the raver kids are doing and know how to deal with it. Right. But uh, what an amazing service. Yeah. That's right? fantastic. But to me, again, like you're, you got a kid in front of a Seven Eleven that's having a psychotic episode, probably because he's on drugs. You're going to send a cop that's never done drugs right. <laughs> to have compassion for this poor kid situation, you know, yeah, it's just versus someone like my ex girl that would know and be like, Hey, what are you on sweetie? You all right? Like, okay can I give you some of this? This will calm down the effect of the substance that you're having a hard time cool. with. Would you like that? Okay. You want to go talk somewhere? What else is going on? What led you to do this and take so much, you know, or the cops just going to be like, get on the fucking ground. Right. We're going to fucking jail. You're Turn a fucking into a asshole. Yeah. And right. You know, it's like, yeah, I just, I, you know, there's like a, 
intelligent way to deal with situations and a non-intelligent way, right? You know, so I, I'm always hoping that people go for the intelligent way. <laughs> you hope so. It doesn't often work that way. Try right, certainly player. doesn't work that way. <laughs> hey, I feel like I should let you go. I feel like it's all good, man. Taking it's all good. Enough of your valuable, precious <laughs> time. Super, super fun, bro. Dude, so nice thank to you. see you, even on this little square on my computer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You want you want bigger? There you go. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's rad. It's rad to see your uh, feet. I love that you're cycling so much, and it's such a part of your lifestyle. I think that's such a great, again, like being the example of health to the people around us. And I think that, you know, getting out in nature and having fun and rolling, you know, it's, ah, man, that's so good for people. I mean, so many feels like, uh, I heard that the bike shops were all sold out here in San Diego during the pandemic. They were having a really hard time getting new bikes in. And I was like, fuck yeah like again like it's a terrible situation but yo people are buying bikes like crazy fuck yeah that's right i haven't really seen them out (laughs) maybe there's you know doing stationary at home or i don't know bro yeah yeah, yeah, i just you know it's one of those unexpected things like oh yeah dude duh people are waking up to the fact that bikes are dope it's exercise and it's utilitarian yeah and for people like you and i it's like oh these dumbasses like yeah bro bikes are dope <laughs> yeah you're like come on let's go get your helmet yeah dude spin it around that's so, so fun man god bless yeah that's rad well dude thanks so much for doing yeah. this it's fucking awesome it's all good thank you appreciate i appreciate it. it i'm glad it worked out yeah me too i didn't think it was gonna at the beginning dude. <laughs> so many problems thank you to mike giant for being here A big thank you goes out to you for listening to this episode. We appreciate you. If you are on iTunes, Stitcher, Bitcher, Witcher, or Nitcher, give this little show a positive rating because it will look good on your future karmetic experiences. And if there's anything you need as far as gear, the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop has got you covered. Much love and respect. We will see you next week with another wonderful depth. Fuck. Guest. Oh, Jesus Christ.